Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Join the conversation. Call 1300 01 1170 or text 0457 736 736. Afternoons on SEN. On SEN Afternoons, on your Monday, a wet and windy Monday in Sydney. If you're listening on SEN 1170, it doesn't seem much better in Brisbane, for that matter, for our SEN 693 listeners. Great to be with you. Big show coming up. We're all over the start of the Australian Open. We'll keep you updated with the scores from Melbourne Park throughout your afternoon. There are a couple of big all-Aussie affairs. Alexi Poprin taking on Polmans. Alex Vukic taking on Jordan Thompson. That's this afternoon. And that all leads into the start of Alex Dimonor's campaign this evening against former world number three, Milos Raonic. How big is that? Right now, Alina Svitolina has won the first set against Aussie Taylor Preston 6-2, and she's 5-2 up in the second. So Taylor Preston, no doubt enjoying her time uh, on the big stage in the first round, but Alina Svitolina, as expected, far too strong in that one. Storm Hunter, though, was going along nicely. She won the first set against Sarah Irani of Italy. So one of the Aussies has started uh, the Monday the old day one of the Australian Open in good fashion. Plenty of scores taking place this afternoon. You will be kept across all of them right here on SEN Afternoons. It's been a massive weekend in sport. We had the BBL Sydney smash. The Thunder's finals hopes are now well and truly gone. The Socceroos Asian Cup campaign began with that 2-0 victory over India. We had Unite round in the A-League. Ange Postacoglu made his first visit to Old Trafford for a 2-2 draw with Manchester United in the early hours of this morning. The NBL continues to tighten up big time. The Kings had a much-needed win yesterday against the Breakers. What about those Brisbane Bullets? Two wins over the weekend against the Hawks and the Tassie Jack Jumpers. They're up to fifth now on the NBL ladder. The NFL playoffs are underway. The Cowboys continue to falter, eliminated by the Green Bay Packers. They haven't made an NFC Championship game since 1995. The once incomparable Dallas Cowboys. They're the most valuable team in US sports and they can't get it right. So I want to know what caught your eye in sport considering all of that over the weekend. Text us through 0457 736 736 or give us a call 1300 01 1170. I'd love to hear from you sports fans. Your reflections on the text line 0457 736 736 or give us a call and let us know what caught your eye, good, bad or otherwise, in the world of sport, both here and abroad across the weekend. Speaking of US sports, after we touched on the NFL playoffs, will this grab my interest? More than anything else over the weekend. I'd love to know your thoughts as well. 
It wasn't a pleasing story, unfortunately. Quite a sad one, in fact. Now, the Chicago Bulls had their ring of honour over the weekend at home. That was after, of course, those uh, six championships they won in the 90s, and they paid tribute to their greats. Michael Jordan wasn't there. Scottie Pippen wasn't there. Our own Luke Longley was, though. Wasn't it great to see Luke mixing with uh, the Chicago Bulls fans who were enamoured to be in his presence once more? But they also paid tribute to Jerry Krause, the old GM. No doubt most of you watched The Last Dance. Jerry Krause was super important in the formation of that Chicago Bulls dynasty. Helped recruit a lot of the players, laid the platform for what was an incredible era in sports in Chicago. He has since passed away, sadly. His widow, Thelma, was there to accept the honour on Jerry Krause's behalf, and he was booed. After passing away, after all he'd done for that basketball club, he was booed. And his widow had to cop that. It was really sad to see. And the reasons are largely due to the last dance, I think, and the fact that Michael Jordan wasn't a big fan of Jerry Krause, felt as if he took too much credit for what transpired in that Chicago Bulls era, felt that he meddled too much. And and the main reason, I guess, is that he started breaking up that team when some of them thought they had another championship in them. He wanted to prepare for the next era. Whether he made some mistakes or not, and I'm sure he made plenty, you have to give him credit. And to boo him in a moment like that when he's passed away and his widow wife is there, I just can't fathom it. Here is Steve Kerr, now coach of the Golden State Warriors, of course, who was part of those Chicago Bulls sides, talking about the reaction that Jerry Krause received on the weekend. It's shameful. It's absolutely shameful. Um, I cannot believe. Um, I'm devastated for Thelma and for uh, the Krause family. I, I, what what can we possibly be thinking? Um, I cannot believe um, that the fans. And you you have to understand when you hear boos, it's not all of them, right? So the fans who booed, um, they know who they are, and that's um, to me it's it's absolutely shameful and I, I'm I'm devastated by that because it, it's just what what are we doing you know whether whether you you know people liked Jerry or not whether they disagreed with uh, the decision to you know to move on from the whatever the I mean like we're here to celebrate um, that team Jerry did an amazing job building that team um, tonight was and last night was all about the joy and the uh, the love that that team shared with the city, and I'm so disappointed in the fans. And I want to be specific because there were lots of fans, I'm sure, who did not boo. But those who booed, um, they should be ashamed. Steve Kerr, as per usual, talking a whole lot of sense. Maybe it's all down to the last dance. Perhaps without that incredible documentary, uh, that reception for Jerry Krause is a little bit different. But it's hard to fathom that supporters would agree to do that for someone who, whether you agreed with every one of his decisions or not. Someone who gave so much to an incredible sporting institution and one of the great eras that we've ever seen in world sport. Give us your thoughts on that and uh, what caught your eye across the weekend in sport. 0457 736 736. Zach Bailey from Channel 9 is with us as he so often is on a Monday. Hello, Zachary. How are you, mate? 
Morning, Gabby, or afternoon now. The day's getting away from me. How are you? Good. It feels like the morning, considering the weather. It's a shocker out there. Um, it hasn't brightened up at all, despite us ticking into the afternoons officially now. Uh, in Sydney, that is, at least. In Brisbane, they're still an hour behind, of course, but I understand the weather's not much better over there. What caught your eye across the weekend, Zach, in, uh, in sport, either here or abroad? Well, there's, there's plenty going on. Um, I'll, it's hard to narrow it down, but let's go with young Dane Sweeney, the yeah. 22-year-old Aussie who was on court uh, yesterday in a five-setter, and we we're all hoping it was going to get across the line. Uh, but just the uncanny resemblance of Leighton Hewitt, like the hat <laughs> backwards, a lot of the celebrations, the come-ons, and just his fight. Like There were so many replays. Like He was sliding from left and right, and he basically got to every ball he could. And it just reminded me of a young Leighton Hewitt coming through all those years ago. So uh, he didn't get the result, but no doubt he won a lot of fans over in his Grand Slam debut down at Melbourne Park yesterday. And I liked his answer afterwards as well, where he was he spoke about the contest against Cirandolo, seeded player from Argentina, and he was almost proud of the way in which he just pushed him. And quite often we hear players say, oh, yeah, I lost, and you know, I'm disappointed, and I need to get better in here and this. But he, he said, look, I, I proved to myself that I can match it with the best. And, and he was almost enthusiastic off the back of that. You don't often hear it after a defeat. No, totally. And I'll, I'll agree with that. When I heard those comments, I thought, you know, good on you. Like, I mean, as you're in the game longer, or I guess you're, you're in, slams longer or, you know, have, have more experience, you're probably harder on yourself or you might be a little bit um, reluctant to tell everyone how it is. Mm. You know, whereas they, they, I, love it. I love it when, regardless of the sport, I love it when someone comes through the ranks and they're young and they're raw and we see them as they are and their personality and they're proud of it. And maybe it's, maybe it's a transition, Gabby. I know you and I have been working in the industry for a long time, but it almost, you know, like players in, across all codes were, were getting so much media training mm. that they became so vanilla. Where I, I think a lot of the younger guys now are wanting to create their own brand and, yeah. and show people their, their true personality. And I, I guess, you know, as, as an eight, you know, some people are going to be you know, criticized for that. We see that across sports, you know, outspoken players. Um, but from a, you know, journalist perspective or a sports lover's perspective, I love seeing, you know, these young guys coming through and just telling them how it, how it is and not worrying about the backlash. 100%. Um, and, yeah, maybe that's a benefit of uh, social media becoming such a big part of sport nowadays. Perhaps once upon a time, someone like that thinks, I have to come out and say I'm disappointed. Well, no, mm. I'll look at it from a different angle because maybe he's exposed to a little bit more. And perhaps tennis is a different sport. Like if you are part of a team in the NRL or the AFL or, or another team code, you have to come out and talk about how disappointed you are. I guess when you're a tennis player or, or a golfer, for example, you're not beholding to anyone else but yourself. So you can come out and say whatever you like and say, you yeah. know what, I'm proud of how I played. And I don't have to toe the party line and say, oh, I'm disappointed. No, I'll look at it from a different angle. Um, that's what you get sometimes when it comes to individuals in sports. So uh, well done to Dane Sweeney. That's a good one to kick us off, Zach. Taylor Preston, unfortunately, hasn't gone the way she would have liked against Alina Svitolina. 6-2-6-2 defeat for the Aussie, but that was to be expected. Storm Hunter going nicely against Sarah Arani of Italy. She won the first set, 6-4, and she is up 2-zip in the second as well. It's a big day for the Aussies on court at Melbourne Park, though, uh, Zach mainly in the men's, a couple of all Aussie affairs. Yeah, well, the, the big one tonight, though, that I, I can't wait for is, you know, there's so much hype around Alex Demon yeah. and I, get, I just get, guess his lead up in, you know, being through the top 10 
in the lead up to the Oz Open, um, and, and like uh, in terms of what he said, he said, you know, I, I've known for a while that I've been building towards this point. A lot of people have written me off. Back mm. to our point before, um, he wasn't happy to have a crack at the critics across the board, saying, you know, what they can say what they want, they can say I don't have this, you know, I don't have the big serve, or I don't have this the serve and volley, or I don't have, you know, the power of some of the, the bigger athletes on court. But you know, he, he's a fighter. So, but he spoke in the lead up just a couple of days ago, saying that the pressure. He, he, he believes he'll thrive on it. He's more excited about it. But it's, it's one of those intriguing stories. That there's never been more eyeballs and more, I guess, more pressure on Alex Demnall to perform given yeah. his success in the lead up to the event. So that, that's always interesting to see mm. how an athlete is going to shoulder that, especially, you know, um, at, at a home slam. Uh, so he's the big one um, for me tonight that I, I can't wait to watch. It's going to be really interesting. And, and yeah, the pressure, well, it's come for him now and he needs to welcome that. And I'm sure he has. I mean, he's made the quarterfinal once before in a Grand Slam. The last two years, he's been eliminated in the fourth round of the Australian Open. He's now a top 10 player in the world. He's knocked off Djokovic and uh, Zverev in the lead into the tournament and Alcaraz, albeit at a charity event. All right, well, now it's time to go on a run. Like, simple as that. Uh, he's set on paper to play Rublev in the quarterfinals. Rublev went to five sets last night. So that maybe takes a bit out of him early in the tournament. Hopefully that helps the Demon, but he's got a tricky match tonight against Raonic, the number, or former world number three. And so, look, that, that could test him as well. But hopefully he gets through that easily and then you know, the next couple of rounds after that uh, are a bit more simple for Alex Demon or he can conserve that energy before he comes up against someone like Rublev and then perhaps a Yannick Sinner and he can take that big yep. scalp which we are hoping for at the Australian Open. Uh, Poprin and Polman's doing battle today in an all-Aussie affair on John Kane Arena. Vukic and Jordan Thompson as well will keep you updated across uh, all of those scores from Melbourne Park. We're going to get into some rugby league news with you in a moment Zach but speaking about what transpired over the weekend we do have to cast our mind back a little bit to Friday night because of uh, everything that happened in world sport and uh, sport here. But the David Warner helicopter drop-in on yeah. uh, the SCG, wasn't that interesting? Didn't work out for the Sydney Thunder or David Warner, but uh, one of the more bizarre incidents we've seen in recent times. Well, when, when you asked, you know, what caught my eye, well, that was definitely uh, one of the things. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that's probably a popular answer across the weekend. I don't know if I've, I've, I've seen anything like it. Um, I know the headline we were running with was, you know, like this Hollywood entrance, you know, for for the star of the Thunder uh, coming back for the Sydney Smash. Um, look, I loved it. And and in terms of a marketing exercise, like the biggest crowd ever, was it for the Sydney Sixers in a, in a big bash match? Um, awesome. So uh, it paid off in terms of, you know, getting people to the, the ground and it was a great spectacle. Um, sadly, you're right, uh, it didn't go Thunder's way in terms of the result. And sadly, for all the Sixers fans out there, so much hype around Steve Smith opening the batting mm. and uh, gone for a duck, which was... I guess the narrative, you know, around him being, it's a completely different format. I, I totally get it, but um, I'm sure he would have loved to have put some runs on the board given, it, you know, the talk was that, uh, you know, or it had just been revealed the day before that he's going to open the batting for Australia in a test series. Yeah, not ideal to get a golden duck when you've just talked about moving up to open uh, in the test format. Um, yeah, look, uh, he'll bounce back from that. He's experienced enough, you dare say. Yeah. But it just puts a little layer of pressure on him, an extra layer ahead of... You know, the opener against uh, the Windies, the opening test match uh, on Wednesday morning. You know, if Australia's sent into bat and there's the pitch is doing a little bit and, and the Windies, look, Australia should 
be far too strong for them, of course, but they've got a couple of bowlers with a bit of pace who can move it around a little bit if they've got their groove going early on. It'll be a test for Steve Smith coming off a golden duck. So that will definitely be an interesting watch at the Adelaide Oval come Wednesday. David Warner made 37 uh, in that Sydney smash game. But the Thunder, their finals hopes well and truly gone. All right, you spent some time with Penrith over the weekend, Zach. So this is interesting. The the wash-up, I guess, of the Jerome Luai confirmed move to West Tigers. What are they saying about it now at Penrith? Well, it was an interesting afternoon because the one thing I will say is that it was at about 36 degrees. So the, uh, the open bus street <laughs> parade down the main street of Penrith uh, wasn't all that successful. There were only a couple of hundred fans braving the heat instead. Most of them were already back at Panthers leagues. Uh, and, and I'd been told that some of them were lining up to get signatures from the likes of Nathan Cleary, obviously the most popular, and even Jerome Luai for about two hours in the sweltering heat. So firstly, any Panthers fans listening... Hats off to you guys because you are a passionate bunch and they went above and beyond to get a piece of their three-time premiership heroes. As for Jerome Luai, I had a a chat to him out there and a a chat to a lot of the fans. And look, not one of them, like they they said, yeah, you know, they're gutted, but not one of them begrudged him for um, taking or, you know, making the decision to leave the club for a $6 million five-year. Not one person that I spoke to, and yeah. I spoke to you know, 20, 30 supporters, whatever out there, not one of them said he should have... Like, they would have liked him to stay, but they, they were all understanding and said, look, well, you know, what would you do if you're throwing that kind of money? You've got a young family, you've won three comps already, you've played State of Origin, you've led Samoa to a um, World Cup uh, final, um, which they'd never done. So, like, the, no one was begrudging him, um, and... and he took just as many selfies and signed just as many posters and jerseys than any other player out there. So mm. there's still plenty of love for Jerome out there. The, the one thing that some people say or still, you know, across social media or any reaction when you do stories like this is, you know, how has Jerome Luai um, allowed, as per the rules, to play for, you know, the Panthers this year having signed for another club yeah. in 2025? I, I always find that hard to understand. That, yeah, yeah, and I and I totally I totally get it from a fan's perspective because you know a lot of them will say oh you know he might not be as hungry or he might be already checked out or whatever. Like I don't think Jerome will be you know a- anywhere near that. Of course he wants to go out you know with another with another ring as he said with Penrith. But it's always an interesting scenario when these things happen, Garby. That you know you've got a player that signs so far out and they've got to then you know back up and play. Um, for, for the team for, for 12 months before joining the new team, you know, 14, 15 months later. Yeah, it's an NRL, NRL rule that has always intrigued me uh, as someone who, you know, follows the AFL closely that would just never be allowed to happen. Um, and, yeah. you know, some, in world football, it can happen a little bit with the new Bosman rule. So you can sign a pre-contract agreement with another club, but it's only for a matter of months, never for a full season. Mm. And it's very rare and it's never the star players who who are going through that. So, yeah, I've always found it weird with the NRL, but, hey, every uh, sport has got its different culture. In regards to the reaction to Luai, it is a little bit different, I think, when you've won three straight premierships, Zach. Like, if, if the Panthers yeah, had yeah. missed out on a premiership at the final hurdle a couple of times, I reckon the fan reaction to Luai leaving is a little bit different. Totally agree. And, then, look, the success that he's had coming, like, through the ranks and help Penrith too is just phenomenal. Like the, even like Stephen Crichton, Jerome Luai, Brian Tottle, Nathan Cleary, like they've had so much success out there. 
Uh, I, I think Penrith, the fans, they also think that, you know what, like Luai is great. But they've got Nathan Cleary. They've got Ivan Cleary, the coach. They've got a lot of guns still in this side. Yes, they've lost some big names, don't get me wrong. But they've got this production line of great talent out there that they will like have trust in to get them through. As you said, if it's a team that had fallen short and you look, you look at, you know, the, the younger grades and you think, oh, you know, who's going to come through and, and fill these you know, fill these shoes or whatever, then you might be a little bit worried. The other thing is it, it, it frees up, you know, what, $850,000 for the Penrith to spend yeah. equally on, a, you know, it might not be a Jerome Lua, but it puts them back in the market for a gun playmaker that they haven't been in the market for for some time because they've just had, they've had the ability to produce and retain so many of the talent, talented players they've already had, you know, whether it's come through their system or they've brought to the club previously through this successful run of four straight grand finals and three straight premierships. So, yeah, uh, the, you know, I mean, the, the one thing that we'll, you know, we're yet to learn, we might learn throughout the season, if, if Penrith goes through a low patch, then the questions will start coming yeah. out going, you know, is this a distraction? Um, should the rules be changed if the players go? But that that is all to be, you know, wait and see how they go this year. They're definitely going to be there or thereabouts, in my opinion, again. Um, and they've got the hunger there again to, to send out at least Jerome Luai, another player with a premiership ring. That's fascinating. If they can keep the hunger going after all they've achieved, my goodness, um, what an mm. incredible achievement that would be. Zach Bailey, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, we'll watch Jerome Luai with a lot of interest across the NRL this season. West Tigers fans will just be hoping he doesn't get injured, of course. Just stay fit, Jerome. <laughs> Please. Nothing that could stretch into next season when uh, you try and resurrect our club. Uh, Zach Bailey from Channel 9, thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks for having me, Gabby. All the best. Zach Bailey there. What caught your eye across sport in the weekend? 0457-736-736. So much going on at the moment. Uh, this from Robbie Rooster. What caught my eye was the great Magic Millions race day. But unfortunately, every single race was run late. It needs to be better on such a big day. Thanks for that, Robbie Rooster. 0457-736-736. Share with us your thoughts. Daniel Garb here with you on SEN Afternoons. Join the conversation. Call 1300 01 1170 or text 0457 736 736. Afternoons on SEN. 0457 736 736. What caught your eye in sport both here and abroad across the weekend through on the text line? The Socceroos, well done. Overcame a tough first half. Now bring on Thursday night against Syria and unite round. There's no name attached to this text, but great games and goals. Unfortunately, not much attention. Not allowing season ticket holders to use their season tickets backfired. Hopefully, they continue the trial for a few more years and tweak things. Agree on that. I don't know why season ticket holders weren't allowed to use their season tickets for those games. It was an extra round, so they weren't included in the season ticket purchase initially. But surely for an initiative like this, if you've got one, you should be allowed to enter any game that you want across Unite Round. I think that needs to be altered uh, for next season. What I will say, though, is, my goodness, Unite Round catered for some fantastic games in the men's, most notably 28 goals scored across the round. That is an equal record. It was awesome to see. Hey, Garby, this one from George in Brisbane was caught my eyes. How good the EPL and Euro football clubs are at having a player transfer window. Yet here, the NRL struggles to have one. The Premier League is the biggest sporting league in the world. If they can organise a transfer window, why can't 17 Australian rugby leagues get one sorted? Yeah, I like that, George. Uh, I mean, 
as I said before with Zach, every sport's got a different culture. Maybe there are some NRL fans who like the fact that you know, we have players that can move with a bit more openness, and if it means they spend another season with a club, well, so be it. Um, it's something that they've become used to. I don't like it personally. I wouldn't like to see someone who has agreed to go play for someone else then play for my club for a year before he's chosen to leave. Every situation is different, and the Luai one probably is. I mean, if you're a Penrith fan and you've won three championships, as we said before, you're okay with it. Let's say Penrith had lost a couple of grand finals in a row, and now Jerome Luai said, I'm going to go play for West Tigers in 2025. Does it sit with you as nicely? I don't think so. I think you're probably a little bit irked by that. You know, your attention might be elsewhere when we're trying to get over the line and win this championship. So perspective with every club is a big factor in all of that. But I always find it odd with the NRL, and I'd like to see more of a, a player movement window come in, similar to the AFL, where there's trade fortnight, if you like. You had a couple of weeks to do your trades, and that's for next season, and that's it. Um, that makes more sense to me, along with the draft. NRL's different, that's fine. The league's going gangbusters, of course. But, yeah, that's one that maybe could be changed in time. Perhaps the league don't like it, of course. Perhaps for them, the more movement there is, the more back-page stories there are, and it keeps the NRL ticking along from a newsworthy point of view. And that suits Peter Vlandes, Andrew Abdo, and the rest of uh, the high honcho- head honchos in the NRL just Fine. We're building up to Alex Dimonor tonight, taking on Milos Raonic, the start of his Australian Open campaign. Along with Steve Smith, he's just about the biggest name in Aussie sport over the next couple of weeks to watch in terms of their fortunes. Here's what Yelena Dokic says about how far Alex Dimonor can go. Look, he can go far. He's had big wins now. Uh, you, you mentioned a couple of those, but Daniil Medvedev as well. He beat him last year. Uh, so uh, he's now had these big wins where they are so important to know that you can stay up there with the best. Not just that you can beat them and get over that line, but that you can stay with them physically, that you can stay with them mentally. Now the question is, can you do it and can he do it over five sets at a Grand Slam? I believe he really can. Uh, we'll see. He, he does have a tough draw, so a match at a time is really important. Rublev, fourth round, potentially Sinner, quarterfinals, and those will be real tests. But I kind of feel like that's that next generation, and Alex is a part of that. Cannot wait for it. Hopefully, uh, Alex Dimonor can get it done at uh, the Australian Open this time around and claim a big scalp. Sinner in the quarterfinals, Rublev uh, in the round of 16 are going to be huge encounters for him. Uh, Presuming he gets past Milos Raonic, of course, without too much of a worry. That's not straightforward. Storm Hunter looking good against uh, Sarah Arani of Italy. The Aussie, she won the first set 6-4. She's up 4-2 in the second. So it looks like she'll be able to cruise through to the second round without too much of a worry. Plenty more coming up on SEN Afternoons after the break. Time for a sports update with Coach K. No Coach K today. So Nathan Gibbons, or Gibbo. Yeah. He's been good enough to join us in the booth. Hello, mate. Good to see you. Good to see you. Good to meet you, Garby. Yes. I've heard a lot of you over the last couple of weeks on the afternoon show. Can I give you my, what caught my eye or ear over the Please weekend? Please do. Please and I suppose do. That'll, that'll filter through into some cricket stuff, but... I was watching the second game of New Zealand versus Pakistan. They're playing a T20 series. Obviously, Pakistan are out here. You are a cricket nuffy. I'm an absolute cricket nuffy. Now, a six was hit out of the ground, mm. and it was taken out of the ground. The cameras followed the ball, and two men picked up the ball and ran off into the Hamilton <laughs> night. So that's what caught my eye. But, yeah, there are some cricket results coming in last night. 
There was also a ridiculous catch in cricket over the weekend that I saw. Yeah, so that was... Which league the, was that in? That was in the Super Smash. So essentially New Zealand's version of the okay. Big Bash. So a player... It was crazy. Ball was skied up in the air. Player runs down a long on, catches the ball just before he's about to go over the ropes, throws it back inside and takes the catch. But there's cricket going on everywhere. Garby... Have you got around the Big Bash this year much? Yeah, I'm getting more and more into it. Look, I love Australian cricket. I'm not yep. a 2020 man. It's nothing against the actual Big Bash. I'm yep. just not a 2020 man, all right? Like, I'm getting across it more and more, but I'm a test cricket purist. ODIs, when the World Cup comes around, I get into it in a big way. But test cricket's my number one Yeah. Um, and the 2020s. I'm growing into it more and more. You have to. You absolutely but I can't, have to. But I can't say that I get swayed emotionally by the results in 2020. That's probably the issue for me. Well, I think it's still building. But if you're a Sydney Thunder fan, you're probably disappointed because another loss for them. They played their second last game of the year down in Monica last night. Strikers win by nine wickets. Obviously, you can hear all that on SCN. There'll be a match later on tonight. But... Like you said, Garby, it is Australian Open time, and mm. boy, we've got a uh, we've got a great match up tonight. But there's been a big upset already. There has in the, the day now. Maketa Vondrasova has been eliminated in a huge first round upset, and it's I think it's the first upset so far of the tournament, Garby. Number seven seed, uh, she's done very well in Grand Slams recently. Maketa Vondrasova. From the Czech Republic, she's gone down to Yastremska of the Ukraine. Six one six two. Not only beaten, absolutely obliterated on John Kane Arena. That yep. is a huge upset early in the Aussie Open. Now we've got some Australian men coming up later this afternoon. James Duckworth against freshman Luca Menashe and Alexi Popran against Mark Polmans later on. So we'll keep you updated throughout the afternoon. And there's some NFL, NFL wild card round. Wild card round, Garby. What's what's the business there? I guess what caught my eye in regards to that was the Dallas Cowboys being eliminated again. Yes. So they just cannot get it right in the playoffs. Green Bay Packers got the better of them. They blitzed them early. Dallas got back into the game slightly. But uh, once more, they are gone in the playoffs and they haven't made an NFC Championship game since 1995. So the Packers 48 defeat Dallas 32. Now, it's the first time a number seven seed has won. So the wild card round, I think, came in 2021 during COVID. So the Packers next week will play the 49ers. Now, there's plenty of games to go. I think there's two tomorrow and one this afternoon, which will keep you abreast of. Uh, and Manchester United and Tottenham played out a two-all draw in the early hours of this morning with uh, min Song absent for Tottenham Hotspur. I think Ange Postecoglou will be more than satisfied with that result. Plenty more coming up in a moment. We're going to go over to New Zealand and speak to Stephen McIver from SCNZ to catch up on all the big sports news over there. Join the conversation. Call 1300 01 1170 or text 0457 736 736. Afternoons on SEN. Daniel Garve here with you on SEN Afternoons. We're going to go over the ditch in a moment to speak to our friends from SENZ. They're keen to get their thoughts on their upcoming test series against South Africa and Australia's upcoming test series over there too. Now that the Steve Smith change has been made, what do they make of that over in New Zealand? Well, we might go there right now. Stephen MacGyver is the SENZ host. Steve, Daniel Garb here with you from SCN 1170, SCN 693 in Sydney and Brisbane doing the afternoon show. Hello, mate. Got enough, got enough numbers? 
Got enough numbers there to chew out. <laughs> just making sure that everyone's represented. <laughs> yes, well, it's Stephen, Daniel, so let's just start there. It's Stephen. I know you Australians like to take the piss, but it's Stephen, all right? <laughs> Thanks, Stephen. Good to be with you, mate. Yeah, yeah Happy New Year, my friend. Uh, Steve Smith finally got what he wanted, eh? Well, he did, and it's going to be a big watch when the series with the Windies starts on Wednesday at the Adelaide Oval, and... Uh, Look, he didn't start well as an opener in the Big Bash, out for a Golden Duck, so that puts <laughs> yes, an extra so little bit of pressure on him when he takes on the Windies. I like the move, to be honest. I think uh, Cameron Green had to come back into the team. Steve Smith mm. has been in a bit of a rut, let's be honest. Uh, he's got some starts, but he hasn't gone on with it in recent times, and it looks like at this stage of his life, 35 years of age, he needs a bit of a refresher. So he's moving up to open the batting. I don't mind it. I'm keen to know what the Kiwis think of it, though, because we've got a big test series coming up in New Zealand in in, uh, oh, at the end of February, think, early March. Daniel, I don't think we care too much. We'll just take <laughs> it on on the chin and see what happens. Uh, because I was talking to John Bra- In fact, I'm talking to John Bracewell, former coach uh, and player afterwards, and uh, he suggests the one important word to remember when it comes to the amount of cricket that's being played is balance. Right, so he he feels that the Black Caps are a well balanced organisation and are, and are picking the right players for the right format. So he, I, I wouldn't suggest we're we're worried about that at all. I was going to ask you, which I thought was really quite fascinating. You mentioned Steve Smith's age was how he was hungry, hungry to to open that because he likes to see the ball earlier on. Yeah, well, he said that, I mean, anyone who knows Steve Smith and has followed his career knows that he is just so intense about his cricket, so intense about his batting. And he said that he he watches every single ball when he's waiting to go in. And then he watches it on the replay on the TV. So he said, if there's 300 balls that have been bowled before he's come into bat, he's watched 600. And he says he's mentally drained by the time he gets out in the middle. Now, maybe when he was 29, 30, it was easier for him to deal with. As he's getting into, uh, you know, the middle of his 30s now, perhaps it's becoming a little bit tiring for him and he just wants to get out there and open the batting. Now, this wouldn't have happened, though, Stephen, if there wasn't a player called Cameron Green that they're desperate to get in the team. It would be a different story. But because there is, and Steve Smith said himself, Cameron Green's too big of a talent. I think he'll be one of the great all-rounders in Australian cricket history. Too big of a talent to be sitting on the sidelines. Well, then someone has to go up and open because you can't do that to Cam Green. That's yeah. not fair on him. Well, I'm happy to be that man. Four, isn't he? And he's happier at four, Green, isn't he? Yeah, he's well, at four. averages over 60 in the Sheffield Shield in that position. Uh, so, so, But the, the other question that must be sitting on every uh, cricket fan in Australia is uh, Bancroft and Harris. What's What's gone on there? Is there bad blood or are they just not ready? I mean, they're, they're, they're openers. They're dedicated openers. I don't think there's any bad blood. It's been discussed at length. I mean, Harris perhaps isn't quite at it in terms of uh, being a better option than Cam Green. Bancroft had a more compelling case based on his two years in the Shield. I simply think Cameron Green's just a bigger talent, and he's younger. The team is starting to age a touch. Labuschagne is the only one in the Test 11 at the moment under the age of 30. Cameron Green is only 24. Bancroft is already in his 30s. So they wanted to get the youngster in and a super talent. So it's very harsh on Bancroft and Harris, for that matter. Hugely rough on them. 
sometimes that's just the way it goes. And if it wasn't for Cameron Green having so much potential, well, then there would it would be a different story and Bancroft would probably be in or Harris and Steve Smith would stay at four. But uh, that's the way it goes with test selection. Speaking about test cricket, I, mm. I want to know, Stephen, what the reaction is over there in New Zealand for our listeners to garner in regards to the upcoming test series with South Africa when you consider South Africa sending a weakened side because they are prioritising their local T20 competition. What are the Kiwi cricket fans saying about that move from uh, the South Africans? You know, I don't think there. I think you'll you'll get that small percentage who are upset and saying it's it's disrespecting Test cricket, which frankly I think it is. Mm. But I think everybody's again. I come back to this idea that you know, just bring it on. We'll we'll figure it out and, and see what happens because it is still South Africa. Okay, seven uncapped players in a squad of fourteen. Yeah, but you know that you know South Africa produces fine talent in cricket, and so I think you'll just go, "Yep, let's see what happens." And who's to say, who's to say that they they don't uh, surprise when they come here, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, Shukri Conrad, their their coach, is that, he actually said it's a sad state of affairs, which is where I come back to you. I'm, I'm, I know we're playing a bit of uh, paddle, paddle tennis or just tennis in in response to these questions here, but uh, I, I really. No, Australia is a power. They are a superpower of cricket, mm. right? But do you get the impression that if, if the BCCI are running are running cricket, and so regardless of what anybody says, things will change without any uh, uproar? You know, like the, uh, like what we're talking about right now, an understrength test squad. Is test cricket losing its varnish, its gloss outside of Australia? Of course it is. Undoubtedly so. Uh, in Australia, it's still king. When Australia plays India, Australia plays England in a test match, there is nothing bigger. I mean, it's Three just, nations, that's it? it that, that's the sad part of it. So, that, well, I guess that leads to my question to you. What's the status in that sense in New Zealand? How intense are Kiwis on preserving test cricket as number one? Or is oh. it starting to change there as well? I, th- I think it is, and I think it's a generational thing too. Mm. And I know and I, and I, my, my comparison is rugby. Like, you know, we're just under 27,000 registered rugby players left the game last year. They left the game that's supposed to be considered the national game. But generationally, mums and dads aren't actually watching their, wanting their kids to play sports that, A, like for cricket, takes hours. They love it in their junior years, but there's nothing seemingly that the systems aren't in place to keep them going. And it's such a, and, and cricket, in essence, is quite a small sport globally, right? Mm. Same with rugby. They'll argue that it's not, but it is. The, the explosion of the likes of basketball and football now, even more so, mm. is, is killing off, uh, shall we say, traditional sports. Yeah. And people are, cannot turn a blind eye to it. Because I remember David Warner in his, his, his thank you for coming speech, uh, he said test cricket is still the one for him. And I wonder how much effect that has on younger cricket players and younger kids, full stop. For sure. Maybe in Australia we can handle a little bit better with a, a bigger population. Yes. I understand it's a big of a challenge for uh, those in New Zealand. Just quickly to finish, because we've only got a bit, about a minute left, Stephen. The Ronald Volkman fiasco. He was set to move to St George Illawarra. They discovered the shoulder injury. Yeah. Now he's without a club. What's going on there? I... I had this discussion. I'm going to have it further with my producer, Sam Hewitt, who calls for all the Warrior games here. I think all parties are culpable. Okay. I think, and I don't know enough, but if you look between the lines, uh, all parties, including the agent, are culpable in this one. And I think the NRA needs to step in and make, make, make a call. 
Yeah, he feels sorry for the youngster, though, who's without an NRL club now. He did want that move, yeah. but um, the injury tough, has man. scuppered the plan at St George Illawarra, and now uh, he needs to rebuild his career somewhere. Stephen MacGyver from SCNNZ, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Daniel. Happy New Year, mate. And you. Join the conversation. Call 1300 01 1170 or text 0457 736 736. Afternoons on SEN. SEN Afternoons with Daniel Garb. This one through from Mark from Red Bank. Hello, mate. What caught my eye was Min Wu and Minji Lee finishing the year in golf. What are the odds of the siblings being number one in the world at the same time if it happens? I don't think Minwoo Lee will get to number one in the world in 2024. It might happen at some stage in the future. He's got the talent. Minji Lee's obviously a big chance to get to number one in the world. She's right around the mark. She's one of the big contenders for the majors in women's golf all the time. Um, but Minwoo Lee, will, I think, will be the big watch for Australian sport in 2024. We did this talkback subject before Christmas. You know, what, what are your expectations for the year ahead? Who do you think might rise and have a big year? Minwoo Lee was my nomination. I think he's going to be not only on the course, but off the course as well as a character, one of the big figures in Australian sport. He's got the game, hits it long enough, strikes it beautifully. We saw his short game in the Australian PGA. It's immaculate. He just needs to get the consistency now. When he has a big tournament, back it up the next week and then hopefully contends come the final few holes on a Sunday in a major for a big trophy. I think that's inevitable for him at some stage. I think it could happen this year. And then, yeah, maybe we will have at one stage, not in 2024, but maybe the year after, the year after that, the two best golfers, men's and women's in the world, and Minwoo Lee and Minji Lee. I love that, Mark, from Red Bank. Share with us your thoughts. 0457 736 736. What caught your eye over the weekend? The open line, 1300 01 1170. Plenty more coming up in the next hour on SEN Afternoons. Join the conversation. Call 1300 01 1170 or text 0457 736 736. Afternoons on SEN. Daniel Garp here with you on SEN Afternoons. Big news through from Melbourne Park. Margaret Court Arena. First round men's singles. Daniel Medvedev has lost the first set to a qualifier. Terence at Marnay of France. Medvedev, one of the big chances in the Aussie Open, the number three seed. We all remember how far he's been at the Aussie Open and some of the controversy that he has caused over the journey. That is a big scare for him early on, losing the first set 7-5 to a qualifier. Terence at Marnay of France. We'll see if Medvedev can recover from here. Popperin and Polmans has started the all-Aussie affair. Polmans a wild-card entry into the Aussie Open. Alexi Popperin expected to get through. If he does, he takes on Novak Djokovic in the next round, and he is up to zip. So he's got a break early on Polmans already. We'll keep you updated with those scores. That is a big watch at the Aussie Open, in particular the Medvedev match from here, losing the first set to the qualifier at Mane of France. Coco Goff, the number four seed in the women's draw, has won the first set over Schmidlova. 6-3 and is up three love in the second. So she is looking good. The American... 
We are all enthralled, aren't we, by what will transpire for Stephen Smith as a test opener in the future for Australia. We'll get our first look on Wednesday, the first test between Australia and the West Indies, of course, covered right here on SEN Cricket. And Steve Smith did an extensive interview with SEN talking about the move, why he wants to do it. And a big factor for him is the mental adjustment that he feels he needs in his game right now. Yeah, and I think it's it just wears me down mentally. I just I watch so closely when I'm waiting to bat of what's going on, and you know there's usually a slight delay on the television, so I watch live, and then I'd look up and I'd watch the TV. So if I'm waiting for you know 300 balls, I'm probably watching 600. So it's just wearing me down mentally, and um, yeah, and and then once I'm out there, I'm probably more fatigued um, by the time I get out there. So yeah, I don't have that anymore, which is exciting. Isn't it interesting? I reckon that's the main reason for Steve Smith. He's just a a cricket nut, as we all know, and he can't relax before he gets out to bat. He's desperate to get out there. Maybe it was easier to handle when he was batting three or four at 29, 30 years of age. At 35, it's obviously becoming a bit taxing for him, as he said. So why not, if we have to get Cam Green back into the team, move him up to opener if he's keen to do so. He's certainly, with an average of 58 in Test cricket, earned the right to make those sorts of calls. Mike of Callumvale in Brisbane is on the open line, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Hello, Mike. Yeah, good day, Daniel. Um, well, the first thing I'll say is we don't have to get Cam Green back into the team. Um, I'm a reasonable fan of his, but um, mm. I, I would have thought that it should have been a fairly simple selector meeting. Um, we've got a, a specialised position has come up because Warner's um, retired from Test cricket. So, you know, to me it should have been, hey, guys, Warner out, uh, Bancroft or Renshaw in. Um, but, I, I, you know, I, I, yeah, okay, so Steve Smith, you know, he's he's got some sort of um, issue where he has to watch the game rather than go and have a cup of tea or do a crossword <laughs> or something. Um I'm just wondering, what would be the public reaction if Bancroft got picked again? Would it bring up a whole lot of mental scars? I mean, Dave Warner can't even catch a helicopter without the hatred sort of coming out for him. So I'm actually wondering if Steve Smith, just in the back of his mind, is thinking, well, I can block that um, by opening the batting. Uh, and the selectors have sort of worked in with Renshaw if Smith happens to fail as opener. So mm. for Cam Bancroft, uh, all the entrances uh, are blocked. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know, it's a bit of a contrarian view, but um, I, if I was Steve Smith, I wouldn't want all the fans around the world sort of bringing up the whole thing again. Yeah. Um, I remembered in the press conference, um, Steve Smith, when it came to what actually happened, he turned to Bancroft and he said, well, you explain what you did. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, Mike. I, I don't think the public would have had negativity towards Bancroft per se. Yes, it brings up Sandpaper Gate again, but I'm not sure it lingers for too long. I mean, Smith and Warner have been in the team for a while after that, and we don't speak about it as much. Obviously, it gets raised when Warner retires, and then, yes, when Bancroft is being discussed as a possible replacement, it obviously comes into vogue as a conversation. Again, I get the feeling most cricket fans, while they admit that Cam Bancroft made a stupid mistake, feel a little bit sorry for him, as if, you know, Warner... Bancroft was a young player in the team at the time, was perhaps encouraged to do that and he wasn't strong enough to say no and, and Steve Smith should have intervened as well while he 
and he didn't. We don't need to go over all that old ground again. But I think most cricketing fans had some sympathy for Bancroft and welcomed him back into the team. It all boils down to the selectors wanting Cameron Green. And to go back to your original point, Cameron Green is a super talent. There's some I get who who don't necessarily see it as much because he's been inconsistent at the start of his test cricket journey, but there have also been some really fine signs against India, against England, against South Africa. He has shown it with the bat and the ball already. Hasn't strung it together necessarily test after test and at the Ashes uh, he definitely didn't have last year his best series, but he was battling injury. He was coming off the IPL. He looked a bit fatigued. He needs to sort that out and make sure he manages things a little bit better. But I think when he does, we have got something very special. And at 24 years of age, there isn't a player with as much talent as he has in that age bracket. Most of them are a bit older, like Bancroft and, and Harris and Renshaw. So I understand where the selectors were coming from. Then you have to put a square peg into a round hole in terms of an opener. But they've done that before with a lot of success, most notably Usman Khawaja. So why not go for it again? And Steve Smith is talented enough to uh, to navigate that, you dare say. He's faced the new ball a lot and done so with success over the journey before. So I like your thoughts, Mike, but uh, I don't mind what the selectors have done in that sense. This one through on the text line from the rep this is why I don't like Steve Smith. He makes nothing but excuses for his form, full stop. The reason why he's batting poorly is that he's lost his hand-eye coordination due to his age. This was bound to happen. It happens to everyone. Warner went to 37, but everyone's different. Yeah, I think Steve Smith's just being honest, Reptile, and I admire that. And why not? He's... Uh, just preoccupied by watching too much cricket by the time he gets out there as number four these days and wants to come in as opener. Let's speak to Alex Thomas now, a former CNN sports host, now here in Australia doing some stuff with Fox Sports News. A good man and uh, he's on the line with us on SEN Afternoons. Hello, Alex. Hey, how's it going? Good, mate. Nice to have you with us. Nice to have you talk a bit of tennis. You've covered many a tennis grand slam over the journey, and uh, now you get to experience it firsthand as an Aussie, don't you? I do. It's a whole different world for me. Uh, <laughs> a long way from the sort of leafy suburbs of Wimbledon in, in uh, southwest London. So you're taking in the Aussie Open and your new adopted country, and you saw Novak Djokovic in action last night. What did you make of it? The, um, the start on a Sunday is a bit different for us, but they had a blockbuster encounter to get things going with Djokovic being tested in the first round. But uh, when he is early on in a tournament, he usually just uh, fires up and gets past it without too much of a worry. He really was tested, wasn't it? And it's interesting to see the way he kind of strode onto court. He's like a sort of champion gladiator in the Rod Labour arena, isn't he? He feels like he owns the place. And, and why not? After after 10, 10 men's singles titles, no one else can get anywhere near that record. But given an absolute scare, wasn't he, by this 18-year-old uh, Croatian. And just great to see the camaraderie between them at the end. You know, Prismich had only, I think, played in three main ATP draws last year. He's still not full-time on the ATP tour. That's how much of a rookie he is. And when you saw him getting an injury timeout during that first set, you really feared the worst. And Djokovic won the opening set pretty easily. But it was a real battle, even the third and fourth sets that he won. Um, he didn't have it all his own way, having his serve broken as well. Um, and we know... Um, that Chris Mitch has said previously that Djokovic was his idol growing up. Um, forget about the sort of Balkans rivalry, one from Serbia, one from Croatia, clearly modelling his game on the world number one. And if you're going to model your game on someone, it may as well be the most successful men's player of all time. 
Um, and you feel like the Australian Open crowd was really warming to him, especially the way he sort of conducted that post-match interview, joking about his age, being twice as old as Chris Mitch. And for those of us getting on a bit, Dan, it's, um, you know, you can understand making jokes about it. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> exactly right. Um She's one of his old adversaries. He's got a big challenge at the moment, Daniel Medvedev. So he's taking on a qualifier at Mane from France. He's lost the first set 7-5. That's a big watch at the moment because there were high hopes for many, I think, not necessarily from a, a sentimental point of view because Medvedev is not necessarily a fan favourite. But I think a lot of people thought that he was a serious threat to the likes of Djokovic, Sinner, Alcaraz and others at this Australian Open. But he's lost that first set to a qualifier. He's got a big challenge from here. No, he definitely has. I think you've mentioned the right names. When it comes to who can beat Novak Djokovic, I think the first person is himself, right? We know he had a bit of a risk problem coming into this. And at his best, you still feel, even at the age of 36, um, the title is there for his taking. But Carlos Alcaraz, Danny Medvedev, Yannick Sinner, the Italian, he made huge strides last year, notably beating Djokovic twice in one day in the Davis Cup semifinals uh, before going on to beat Australia in the final. Uh, and Andre Rublev, who actually was taken to five sets in his opening match yesterday against uh, a Brazilian whose name looks like Thiago Saboth Wild, but it's actually Thiago Sipuch Vuj, um, if you're going to say it <laughs> in proper Brazilian. Um, wonderful to see these kind of names that most people have never heard of, but just taking their, their chance to shine on, on the big court. So, yeah, Medvedev up against it. And there's been some funny results on day two, actually. Uh, Marketa Vondrasova, yeah. seventh seed, going out, losing in straight sets to a qualifier as well. So, yeah, definitely keep your eyes out. You can't uh, be complacent at all. The strength and depth in the men's and women's games greater than ever before, really. So the big watch for us is obviously Alex Dimonor. Takes on Milos Raonic yeah. tonight, uh, the former world number three. So Aussies are obviously enthusiastic in a massive way about Alex Dimonor and what he might be able to achieve at this Australian Open and whether he can take that, that big leap and get past a quarterfinal, which he's achieved once in his career. He's been eliminated in the fourth round in the last two Aussie Opens. Can he claim that big scalp, under pressure, big stage, maybe over five sets against a, a sinner or someone of that ilk later on in the tournament? I'm keen to know your thoughts as someone who's not necessarily a dyed-in-the-wool Aussie, of course, from the outside who watches a lot of tennis and has taken in these tournaments. What are your expectations of Alex Diminor? Because that's interesting for the listeners, that different perspective. I've been really impressed by him. Um, and it's funny that his mentor and coach is, is he and Leighton Hewitt are such a close relationship because his game is so similar to Leighton's. And I remember when Leighton Hewitt came in and kind of filled that gap between the Sampras era and then the Federer and Adal Djokovic era we've been so lucky to see over the last decade and a half or more. And Hewitt just was a master at making the most of his talents. And Demonor does exactly the same thing. Such a busy player. Um, always someone that you feel is going to have the confidence that he has worked harder in practice than the person he's facing on the other side of the net. And I've loved the way he's conducted himself this week. He's never had the spotlight on him quite as much as he has had this week based on his results. So it's not just kind of one-eyed patriotism from the Aussie tennis public. Um, he has beaten all these top 10 players, including Djokovic in the run-up to this, got into the top 10 in the rankings. He's never done that before. And I feel like he's coping with it really well. I like the humility he's had in the press conferences and the interviews he's had in all the days leading up to it, saying he's out to prove people wrong. There's no pressure for him. He's done it his whole life, been written off as being too small, not hitting the ball more uh, powerfully enough. 
So I don't think that's going to phase him at all. Clearly, when you get down to the quarterfinals, semifinals of Grand Slam, especially on home soil, when you've grown up watching this event, dreaming of lifting the trophy, it's going to hit differently. Yeah. But he's got enough experience under his belt now to know what that feels like um, in all the kind of major tournaments he's played in. So I don't tip him to win, but I think there's no reason why he can't get past the last eight for the first time. He's just such an interesting tennis player because you, you look at someone like a Nick Kyrgios, and we all know about Kyrgios's attributes, and you just think, well, if he gets his body right and he gets his mind right, he's got the serve to beat anyone. He's got the forehand to beat anyone on his day. Those two uh, prefaces were obviously, obviously big question marks with Nick Kyrgios, but when he has got it right in the past, you know he's got the talent. With Diminor, it's a little bit different. I think unless you watch his game really closely or understand every aspect of his game, it's hard to know where that dramatic improvement is going to come from, apart from a bit more experience, a bit more confidence, because he is a different style of player. He's more of a workhorse on the tennis court. So that's that's the intriguing thing, isn't it? You know, okay, he's had a good lead in form, but where's that big jump in terms of the actual mechanics of his game? Yeah, and you're absolutely right. He's not got a major weapon. Um, but he's just developing his consistency across his game. And that's a very modern approach. And you can argue that that's what has made Djokovic the player he is, that Federer was famous for his flowing backhand, Rafa Nadal for that incredible topspin forehand. They had other ways to win as well, drop shots, angles. Djokovic has just been the champion of thumping the ball as hard as he can from the baseline. Yes, there's more subtlety to it than that. But you see this next generation coming through, but at the very least in their game, they have to hit hard from the back of the court. Demonor can do that. Um, and he just is trying to make every aspect of his game get to the point where he has no weaknesses. And I think the consistency needed at the highest level, when men's tennis in particular has such strength and depth, is not to be underestimated. But I love that how his character and the mental side is, com- is com- separate the sort of top 20 from the top 50 to 100. Um, seems to be so clicked and so in gear Mm. um, that he's just so unfazed by it all. And I think that will stand him in really good stead. On the women's side of things, a win for Storm Hunter, the Aussie, who qualified, beating Sarah Arani of Italy, 6-4, A Taylor Preston, a wild card selection into the main draw, beaten by Linus Vitalina, the 19th seed, 6-2, 6-2. Coco Goff has absolutely smashed Schmidalova, 6-3, 6-love. Sabalenka won 6-love, six 6-1 six to get through uh, last night without a worry. Wondra Sova, though, the number seven seed out. 6-1, 6-2, she was beaten uh, by a qualifier. That's the big story on the women's side side of things early on. Um, what do you make of the women's draw? Sabalenka made a bit of a statement last night, didn't she? She did, and she got to the final in Brisbane too, as looking very, very strong. Um, I think, again, it's similar to the men's. There's probably only a handful of serious winners. Her, obviously, Iga Zwontek, who's never got past the semi-finals of Australian Open, but has won the French three times, has won the US Open back in 2022, has been number one for a good 18 months or so in the women's game. Uh, I think you put Rubikina up there, Coco Goff, as you just mentioned, Jessica Pagula, the other American, as serious title contenders. And then just below that, the likes of Ons Jabur, uh, Maria Sakkari, Yelena Osipenko starting to show some of her best form again. They're also in the mix. So, I mean, when you compare the men's and the women's games, the big gulf is really just this. We've had this dominant era of Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, and then below that kind of Murray, Vavrinka. So you've had four different men's champions at the Aussie Open since 2005 when Marat Safin won. 
Whereas in the women's game since 2005, when Serena won the second of her Australian Open titles, you've had 12 different women's champions. So it's a huge gulf. Yeah. But suddenly maybe you're seeing this kind of core group of, of women's players um, that can really challenge. And I think it will get very, very interesting uh, in that second week in the women's singles. Just quickly to finish, Alex, uh, before we have to go to a break, uh, golf last night was really exciting to watch. The Dubai Classic, uh, Rory McIlroy and Tommy Fleetwood were going at it in a massive way. They came down the 18th. McIlroy hooks his ball into the water. Bogey's the last. Fleetwood birdies it and wins the tournament. It was um, crazy scenes, really, but great watching. Yeah, a massive turnaround on the last. And Rory also missed. Uh, he three-putted from about two foot uh, three or four holes earlier. So you can see the rust in his game, his first tournament of 2024. Some gorgeous Roy McIlroy touches in between that, though. And great news to Tommy Fleetwood, who hasn't won a title since 2022. He's been working so hard on yeah. this game recently. He's been all over golf social media. And nice to see the camaraderie between the two of them. Big hugs on the 18th. Roy <laughs> actually pretty pleased for his mate that he got a title in the bag. Alex Thomas, uh, sports journalist here in Australia, uh, done some great things with CNN over the journey. Thanks so much for joining us on SCN Afternoons. My pleasure. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Alex. Alex Thomas there, great to have him join us on the program. We are keeping you updated with all things Australian Open tennis throughout the afternoon. Plenty more coming up after the break. Don't go away. Join the conversation. Call 1300 01 1170 or text 0457 736 736. Afternoons on SEN. Daniel Garb here with you on SEN Afternoons with thanks to SBS Fence SBSfence.com.au, the best portable fence and toilet hire in Sydney. Make sure you get onto them for any of your events. Let's go through some tennis scores. Popperin and Pullman's, the All Aussie affair on John Kane Arena right now. Popperin's still working with that early break. He's up 5 3. And uh, Pullman's is serving to keep the first set alive as we speak. Medvedev has struck back in the second set. So we lost the first to a qualifier from France in Atmane, 7-5. A big shock on Margaret Court Arena. But Medvedev has the early break in the second set. He is up to love. So he's just stabilising a touch. Ben Shelton, the number 16 seed from America, has won the first set over Bautista Agut. That's not the easiest first-round game, but he's won at 6-2 rather easily. So he'll be happy with that. And Rusevuri is uh, is fighting back the Finn from a set down against Kipson of America. He's won the next two. Lost the first set, 6-4, 6-3, 6-4, the next two sets. So he's stabilised nicely. James Duckworth's playing as well against Van Asch of France. Just 2-1 in favour of Duckworth at the moment. Early stages in that affair. In terms of results, Storm Hunter is through to the second round of the Australian Open for the first time in her career with the win over Sarah Arani of Italy, 6-4, 6-3. Well done to the Aussies. A string of first-round eliminations at the Aussie Open has now ended, and she gets to go through to the second round for the first time in her career. Vondra Sova, the number seven seed out. That's the big news. Early on day two at Melbourne Park, a 6-1, 6-2 loser to Yastremska of Ukraine, who is a qualifier. Coco Goff cruising through against Schmidlova, 6-3, 6 love. And uh, Svitolina beating Taylor Preston of Australia, 6-2, 6-2. We'll keep you updated with all the other scores from the Australian Open as they transpire. It's a very big day from Melbourne Park. This one through on the text line from Bulldog Bob as we 
build into the news. Hey, Garby, regards to the NRL trading window and a possible draft, the Rugby League Players Association is against the introduction of a player draft as they believe it would put too much pressure on a player and their family. They had to pack up and move from, say, Melbourne to Townsville, for example, if a draft was held after the season. However, this week we have seen Justin Cla- Justin Olam move from Melbourne to Leichhardt and Sean Bloor go the other way, just to mention a couple. And these two moved mid, mid-January, not October-November. If a draft was brought in, maybe keep the transfer window open, but all players of contract go in the draft after the grand final. Don't mind that, Bulldogs, Bob, something a bit different. I don't know about players leaving states being an issue. In the AFL draft that happens, the kids are 18 years of age, some younger, and they're picked by a club in another state, and they go. We see youngsters move around the world in basketball and football and other sports to pursue their dream. Why can't NRL players move from one state to another, from Queensland to New South Wales, if you had a draft? Now, the system might not be set up for a draft. That's a whole different story, of course, because clubs are tied to junior clubs and academies and things like that. And that's part of the fantastic culture of the NRL, watching the players come through in their home states. That's a whole different argument. I get that. Um, but uh, I'm not sure about players being forced to leave states if you did have a draft in the NRL because uh, I think they'd be able to deal with it comfortably over time. Um, but it is an interesting one, and maybe without a draft. That's why we have open season on player movement in the NRL, and let's be honest, it also keeps uh, the NRL on the back pages, but the league is more than happy with. 0457 736 736. Keen to get your thoughts on the Socceroos and how you thought they went against India in their Asian Cup opener. We're going to talk about it in a bit more depth after the news. Along with all the Premier League results, Ange Postacoglu going to Old Trafford and getting a point without Son Heung-min and his team. Your thoughts on the Socceroos Asian Cup opener, Unite Round, anything in the world of football. We're going to spend a few minutes talking about that after the break on SCN Afternoons. Time for a sports update with Coach K. Gibbo's in for Coach K, Nathan Gibbons doing the score updates. And the Who Am I next hour? Gibbo, now, my short time here on SCN Afternoons, it's one of my favourite parts of the show. Coach K does it very well. We worked through things with the maestro, Alex Molchanoff. He went a little bit hard on the clues early on, didn't give them enough time to breathe. So a bit of pressure on you today to make sure you get the Who Am I right. I love it. Well, see, because I do listen into the show very closely. I've been thinking all morning about who my who am I is going to be, and I've got it locked and loaded. Uh, so, well, that'll I think it's a hundred dollars cash from Top Sport yep. as well in the final hour, and I'm very confident of this one. I'd say if we have to go on the difficulty level, it'd be about a six out of ten. Okay, I think. But hey, look, this is the score update. The NFL Wild Card Round is underway. We already saw a game today. America's team going down. Dallas Cowboys 32, loss to the Green Bay Packers 48. Now, as I said earlier, it was the first seventh seed to win a postseason game. The Packers will take on the 49ers next week. Now, there's another game going on at the moment. Is the Detroit Lions up against the LA Rams. Now, the Lions are in the lead 21-17. to But a stat for you, the Lions this year, when they've been leading by double digits, they're 8-0. Okay. So, look, I don't want to say they're a lay-down Mazzeb, but the Detroit Lions are 21-17. to Now, Garby, I know you're a football man through and through. Now, we are getting to the pointy end of a couple of seasons, but it was the Asia Cup that kicked off in Qatar, yep. of all places, over the weekend. Now, the Socceroos took on India in what was, 
I was surprised how tight it was. Mm. Uh, the bookies gave India no chance, yeah. but it was a close game. Yeah, it was. Um, and I think a lot of people would have been surprised by that. But that can happen in football a lot when the dominant team, and Australia still dominated the game. It's not as if India had many chances. But when the dominant team just can't find the right connection in the final third and aren't creating clear-cut chances in the first, say, 20 minutes or so, then a team like India, who is well-organised, starts to grow into the game. They developed some confidence defensively, and they actually defended really well. Yep. I mean, their coach is a guy called Igor Stimac, who is a Croatian, who was an excellent defender in the Croatian side that made it through to third place at the 98 World Cup in France. He's coached the Croatian national team, played for West Ham and Derby County. He's no mug, and he's been yep. there for like five years. He's India's longest-serving manager. So he's got them all on the right page. Even if the talent's not there, he's got them very well-drilled from a, a tactical point of view. So they made life hard for Australia. Uh, thankfully, uh, when they did make a mistake, which they did early in the second half, the Indians, Jackson Irvine was there to uh, just make everyone breathe a little bit easier by knocking it into the back of the net. And then Graham Arnold made some substitutions. McGree and Geordie Boss came on. Riley McGree burns his opponent down the right. Crosses it for Geordie Boss, who tapped it home with his first touch for his first Socceroos goal. 2-0 it finished. Now... Just before we move on with the Socceroos, the Indian football side, now I know they've got the Indian Super League, which mm. oh, I know they've sort of put a lot of money in. They've got some old, older sort of players playing in it from around the world. Is As a competition, are all the Indian football players playing in that comp? Yeah, their entire national team is right. based in India. They've had a couple of players that have ventured overseas into Europe over the journey, but not many. They're one of the more fascinating aspects of world football, India, along with China, like massive yeah. populations. Mm. Football is big there, the same with China. Why aren't they better? Why aren't they better? People yep. can't work it out. We know that cricket is so dominant in India, but they've got over a billion people. Surely there's enough to conjure up a, a, a better national football team than what they are producing right now. That being said, making the Asian Cup isn't easy and they performed well, but you'd like to think they'd develop a few more attacking talents to uh, to hurt teams the other way. So uh, they're on the right track, but they've got a long way to go. Uh, they made life difficult for Australia, though. So we take on Syria in our next game on Thursday night and then it's Uzbekistan. They will be more difficult challenges for Australia. We need to play better. Yep. Because, uh, you know, the India game is obviously an inferior test compared to those two. But oh, I think Australia will grow into this tournament. Let's not forget the last World Cup. Argentina lost their opener to Saudi Arabia, went on to win the whole tournament. So sometimes you can start a bit nervy yep. and a bit slowly and then grow into it, just getting those three points. Considering Syria and Uzbekistan drew their opener, that increases Australia's chances of topping the group, which is so important. So all in all... Um, more than satisfying for Australia, but some improvements to be made. Now, at the World Cup, the Socceroos got out of the group stage. I think uh, Japan was weren't so convincing this morning, but expectation for Graham Arnold and the side, uh, do they go to these competitions saying we're playing at least in the final or we're going to win it? The expectation is to win. It has to yep. be. I mean... Australia, along with South Korea and Japan, are the three big favourites. Iran had a big win this morning, 4-1 over Palestine. They're a strong side. Saudi Arabia are obviously very good. They've got Roberto Mancini, the former Man City and Italy manager, as their boss. As we know, they've got as much money as they want. Uh, the resources that at their disposal are not an issue. And as we said, they knocked off Argentina at the last World Cup. So they're a good team as well. So there's a big five there. And then a, 
a bunch of teams like Uzbekistan who will face in the group stages, Jordan, Oman, some others who are experienced, the UAE, who can trouble teams on their day. But I think those are the big five. Australia, yep. when you're in that group, you have to say, all right, let's go there and win it. We won it once before in 2015. We're coming off that excellent World Cup in Qatar. We do feel comfortable in those environments. There's something about that country. Maybe we've just been there so often now, stayed in the hotel so often, World <laughs> Cup qualifying, the last World Cup, other internationals we've had there. Something about the place just agrees with the Socceroos. It gives you hope that, yeah, they can go far, make it to the final. And, and once you're in the, the final four or, or the big one, you know, obviously all eyes have to be on lifting that trophy for just the second time in Australia's history. Now, last one on the Asia Cup from me, Garby. I like a Cinderella story in all of these World Cups at Olympics, whether, you know, the countries that probably they're happy to be there. What country am I looking out for that's really just happy to be there? Maybe they can score a goal at some <laughs> stage and the biggest upset of all time. Well, Hong Kong's an interesting one. They yep. played this morning as well, and they were beaten rather comfortably by the UAE. So uh, they are one that, uh, I guess, would be a bit of a Cinderella okay. story. Kyrgyzstan's another one. I watched Australia play against Kyrgyzstan in Kyrgyzstan many years ago. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, look, they are a bit of a, a footballing minnow. But when I was over there, I was impressed by how obsessed they were with their national team. The atmosphere was unbelievable and their style of football was impressive and you, you went away from that going, all right, Kyrgyzstan could be a, a tricky team to play against in the years to come. And now they've qualified for the Asian Cup, that's proving to be the case. So they're another one that's an interesting watch, um, just a, a different place altogether to what we're used to in Australia, of course, but there's something endearing about that country. So there's one for uh, football fans to keep an eye on. Okay, and now um, I suppose... As always, we keep an eye on the EPL, but none more so this year with Ange Postacoglu mm. and and, uh, Ange Postacoglu and Tottenham. This morning, it was a two-all draw against Man United. Uh, how how are Tottenham faring this season overall? Do you think, Garvey? Oh, they're doing very well. Of course, they're uh, sitting in fifth place at the moment. They're eight points clear of a team like Manchester United. And as Ange Postacoglu said on the weekend, they're still in the title race. He's not worried about what people expect from his team, about previous campaigns, about squad depth and everyone assuming they'll drop off at some stage. He's a dreamer and he wants his fans to dream. And he said, well, as long as we're in touch points-wise, well, then, yeah, we're in the title race and that'll be our aspiration until it's not possible mathematically anymore. 2-2 Two -two draw away to Manchester United without Song Hyung Min is a pretty good result for Spurs. They had the better of the possession, which they often do. The chances were probably even a draw a fair result. United are struggling big time at the moment. For them to come away from that game and just be sort of ho-hum about it sums up where they're, they're at right now. I'm just so far off the pace. Um, but Spurs are going along nicely. It's tough without Son, but they'll take that away from home against United. Here is Ange Postacoglu speaking about that game. Not the greatest of starts and <clears throat> been a goal down, uh, particularly here and <clears throat> knowing the situation that you know, Manchester United were in in terms of needing a result. Um, I thought their response was outstanding. Um, you know, our football after that was really good. Then before that we were sort of you know, <clears throat> creating some good opportunities. Um, obviously we got then hit on another transition but for the second half, we, we really controlled the game and um, I couldn't be happy. We've had a really rough week uh, off the field with quite a few bit of illness and other things, but this group of players has been outstanding. He's doing an incredible job. I don't think there's a bigger name in Australian sport right now, the world over, than Andrew Postacoglu. And to be at that stage, the English Premier League stage, as an Aussie without a big playing background, we speak about it a lot, but you do have to continue to stay, take stock of it. It's just... 
something to behold and he continues to impress. And they're in this title race, sitting in fifth spot, despite losing players through injuries and now Son Heung-min away at the Asian Cup. And they continue to do the job. So, well done to Ange. They'll take that solid result. United uh, just know that they are so far off the pace based on their expectations coming into the season under Eric Ten Hag. Plenty more coming up after the break on SCN Afternoons. Daniel Garp here with you with thanks to SBS Fensire, sbsfence.com.au. Join the conversation. Call 1300 01 1170 or text 0457 736 736. Afternoons on SEN. On the text line 0457 736 736. This is through from Tony. Take it from me, mate. As an Asian, China and India will never be top-level football nations because the culture focuses on education and a stable career. Sport is one of the most unstable careers and is discouraged. Uh, We know that China is obviously a powerhouse in the Olympic sports movement and in some other sports. For some reason, they can't get it right in football. Not sure why. In India, we know, of course, about their dominance in cricket. But for some reason, despite football being a very big sporting cut over there, with over a billion people, they can't take that step up. So that's some insight there from Tony, um, but it hasn't held them back in some other sports. Some really sad news just through a moment ago, which we uh, must bring to you. 46-year-old former Socceroo Stephen Labart has unfortunately passed away. His body has been found in bushland in the New South Wales north coast in a tragic conclusion to a police search. Labart played 15 matches for the Socceroos from 2000 to 2004, represented the Oliroos at the Sydney 2000 Olympics. He had been visiting friends in Casuarina, but went missing on Friday night. He was reported missing on Saturday morning. His car was found at a shop later on. A large-scale police search was conducted, and his body has been found uh, in bushland late last night near Cabarita at 7pm. Um, He played in Europe for a period of time. Very talented central defender. Could slot into midfield as well. He ruptured an Achilles tendon in 2008 while playing for the Newcastle Jets in the A-League. That ended his career. He later came out as gay. That marked a significant milestone for Australian men's football when a high-profile player was happy to, uh, to come out in that regard and speak openly about it. But unfortunately, he has passed away at the age of 46. That is very sad news. The Newcastle Jets have sent out their condolences. As we said, he played for them in the A-League and 15 appearances he made, Stephen Labart for the Socceroos. We wish all the best to his friends and family and everyone who knew him well in Australian football. Some score updates from the Australian Open. So Alexi Popperin has won the first set against Mark Polmans in that all-Aussie affair in the first round at John Kane Arena. 6-3, Popperin won the first set. He's up 2-1. The second set is on serve at the moment. And Medvedev has fought back after dropping the first set against the qualifier from France, Terence at Mane. He lost the first set 7-5, Medvedev. He's up 5-2 in the second, though, and about to close out the second set on his serve. So he is fighting back nicely. Stan Wawrinka has lost the first set against Manorino of France, the number 20 seed 6-4, so he's got a battle. Ben Shelton, the number 16 seed, has won the first set against Bautista Agut, uh, 6-2. 4-3 it is on serve in the second set in that one. In the women's singles, a big win for Coco Goff. She got through without a worry in uh, her match. 
Coco Goff, the American, the number four seed, taking on Spidlova. She won 6-3-6, love. Vondrasova, though, the number seven seed on the women's side of the draw is out. Losing to Yastremska from Ukraine, the qualifier, 6-1-6-2. That is a massive story. Storm Hunter, the Aussie, has made it through to the second round for the first time in her career. The qualifier, 6-4-6-3. She's through over Italian... Sarah Irani. Taylor Preston, though, unfortunately, the wild card is out to Spitalina, the number 19 seed. 6-2-6-2. She lost and she has been eliminated. It's all building up, of course, to Alex Dimonor taking to the court tonight. That is a massive one against Milos Raonic, the number three seed. We cannot wait for that. It is going to have uh, Australia transfix as we wait and see if Alex Dimidor can claim some big scalps and have a big run at the Aussie Open this year. James Duckworth is taking on Van Ash of France and he's up 5-4 in the first set. Duckworth, a wild card entry. Van Ash serving at the moment to stay in the first set. So that's an interesting watch. And Davidovich Fakina, the number 23 seed from Spain, has won the first set against Lestienne of France 6-4. Some of the results for you from Melbourne Park in the Australian Open. It was Unite round in the A-League, and uh, that was an interesting watch over the weekend. I was there, covered three games for Network 10, uh, three nights, five games, in fact. Really enjoyed it. The football was unbelievable. That cannot be denied. 28 goals scored across the men's competition, plenty in the women as well. Maybe it was something about Unite Round, the neutral venues, the big stage that just uh, implored teams to come out and attack and maybe take away some of their defensive approaches just a little bit. Um, And it made for an awesome uh, few games of football. Yep, things could have been done differently in terms of attracting bigger crowds, no doubt. Hopefully the A-Leagues can work through that in time. Let's not forget, though, this was all about a compromise to ensure that the grand final moves to whoever deserves to host it as opposed to just being played in Sydney. So they got around that with a nice compromise and unite round. I think we'll take it over uh, having the grand final solely in Sydney, regardless of who plays in it for years to come. Daniel Garp here with you on SEN Afternoons. Plenty more coming up in a moment. Join the conversation. Call 1300 01 1170 or text 0457 736 736. Afternoons on SEN. The Sydney Kings had a big win yesterday over the New Zealand Breakers. The Kings take on the Wildcats this Sunday. That's always a big encounter. Always a grudge match. The Wildcats as big of a franchise as there is in the NBL. Sydney Kings back-to-back champions. Tickets from Ticketek. They take on the Cats at Kudos Bank Arena. 20 bucks for a single, $45 for families. Get down there and support your Kings in a very tight NBL season if you can. The 2 o'clock flock is coming up next. one 1170 Join us with anything you want to talk about in the world of sport. What caught your eye over the weekend? 0457 736 736, the text line. But the 2 o'clock flock, one 1170 Speak to you soon. Join the conversation. Call 1300 01 1170 or text 0457 736 736. Afternoons on SEN. Good afternoon, sports fans. Great to be with you on SEN Afternoons. SEN 693 in Brisbane, SEN 1170 in Sydney. It's not a great day in Sydney, let's be honest. And I'm not sure it's too much better in Brisbane. 
judging by the forecasts that I have seen. We're here thanks to sbsfence.com.au, the best portable fence and toilet hire in Sydney. Time for the 2 o'clock flock, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Get on the line and have a chat with us about anything you want to talk about in sport. What caught your eye over the weekend? What would you like to raise? I spoke about the disgraceful treatment that Jerry Krause received at the Chicago Bulls Ring of Honour in uh, America across the weekend. The former GM of the Chicago Bulls, it played a massive role in setting up that amazing dynasty. Uh, perhaps the reflections during the last dance were not the greatest, and that led to the boos when Jerry Krause's widow was brought out. Thelma, Jerry Krause has since passed away. Why you would boo him when his widow's there to accept the honour on his behalf after all these years when he helped create so much success for that club is just beyond me. What caught your eye of the sport? That had me irked. Might be something a bit more positive. 0457736736. Or the open line, 1300-01-1170. Shane from Marrickville is on the line. Hello, Shane. Yeah, Daniel, um, just on the uh, NRL transfer system, you remember mm. when Cam McGuinness blew his knee out pre-season training with the Dragons? Mm. Two weeks earlier, he'd signed a contract to join the Sharks in 2022. Now, that contract worth reportedly $2.4 million. If he never signed that contract, he would have been lucky to get three quarters of that, maybe even half of it. Yeah. And this is why the players and the union will never vote for any other system than the current one. It gives all the players in the NRL more protection than they've ever had, and they will never change it. And, then, and you can't blame them either. Yeah, but in the AFL, for example, players are signing longer-term contracts now for that reason. And I'm not sure it's got much to do with players leaving. Are they getting protected by big deals? And obviously, the risk of injury is a massive reason why players sign long-term contracts. So do you think that's all about protecting uh, the players against injury? Or is it about, uh, yeah, ensuring that they can move clubs without having that worry in the back of their mind? The NRL clubs are ruthless. Mm. If they had their way, they would make players sweat right into the preseason and say, yeah, mate, we'll give you a contract. Just hang on there a little bit longer, a little bit longer until it's too late. And then they'd say, mate, sign it or leave. Mate, the NRL clubs would love to have this clause out. They would have a field day. <laughs> they would make the players slaves. Who do you support, Shane? The Storm. The Storm. So... How do you like it when you hear about one of your star players announcing they're going to play for someone else in 12 months' time running around in your team? And I'm not saying that in a facetious manner. I'm, I'm genuinely curious. Like, does it bother you or not? Doesn't worry me, mate. It's a business. It, it's just a... Look, if I was a struggling club, I mean, mm. Storm have been so successful in the last quarter of a century, but at the end of the day, it's a business. And these players... They have to be looked after. They have a short time in the game, yeah. an average of three years and 33 games. Not not all of them become superstars on $1.2 million a year. Oh, yeah. And they've got to get every cent what they can out of it, and good luck to them. 100% agree. No one begrudges that. It's whether the um, the system can be done differently. Look, I don't think it's going to matter what we say on this because I think the NRL loves the fact that we have a, a year-long um ability for players to move because it's all about generating more news and more interest and that's fine and the afl system's different it's got the trade window and then a draft world football for example has trade periods same with american sport there are periods where you can sign players and then it stops and then it starts again the nrl just keeps it going 
all season long. Um, and hey, it, it works. Every sport culture is different, right? That's one thing about sports, Shane. People like to mm. s- adopt this uniform approach. Well, they do it in that code. So why don't you do it here? And maybe things can be taken from other codes to improve it. But every sport has its own culture. And if that works for the NRL and supporters like you aren't bothered by it, well, then why not let it continue? Well, I think they will let it continue. And of course they will. There's no way that there's no way the union will change it because the players voted for it. That was the last sticking point in the agreement. It would have never changed. The players would be mad to take that clause out of their contracts. And they won't. It would only be if the league wants some sort of regulation in regards to player movements. But uh, if the fans don't seem too bothered and there's not an uproar. And the media organisations who invest so much in the game and major stakeholders are happy with it, well, then uh, on it goes. Um, but if the fans are, are a major stakeholder in that sense, and if they are happy and clubs are happy with fans, with players, sorry, agreeing to move and play for someone else, but are still committing wholeheartedly to the team that they are playing for for the rest of that season, or in Jerome Luai's case, for the entirety of the 2024 campaign before he goes to West in 2025, well, then it's all good. Thanks, Shane. Appreciate the call. Uh, 1-300-01-1170 uh, to join us on the open line. 0457-736-736 on the text line. Good afternoon, Garb. I'll call it early. Ange coaching Spurs. The style, what he's doing, it'll be hard to beat for the best Aussie sports achievement of the year. Well, I reckon he was the best sports achiever of 2023 for Australia. Along with, okay, maybe achievement's not the right word, but certainly the best moment the Matildas in 2023 and what they were able to generate around the nation. What Ange did last year, winning the double again with Celtic and then getting the move to Tottenham, just unfathomable. And he's carrying on in 2024 as well. There's not a bigger name in Australian sport right now than Ange Postacoglu, the world over. Pat Cummins right up there, Sam Kerr, a superstar, of course. There are many others. Oscar Piastri is a big name. Josh Giddy, what he's able to do in the NBA. Is enormous, of course, even though he's got some troubles at the minute off the court. You can't beat Ange in terms of what he is generating globally uh, with Tottenham Hotspur at the moment. Alex Poprin, Alexi Poprin, sorry, 6-3 up in the first set. We won the first set over Mark Pullman's. 4-4 in the seconds on serve. So Poprin with a chance to make it 5-4. Medvedev fighting back against Almane, the Frenchman, the qualifier. He lost Daniel Medvedev, the number three seed, the first set 7-5, which was a big shock. Won the second set, though, 6-2. Um, so he's fought back nicely, and he's got a break in the third. So if he holds his serve here, Daniel Medvedev, he'll be 3-1 up over Admane. Uh, he's fighting back nicely, but a bit, bit of a scare for Daniel Medvedev early on in that one. Speaking of the biggest names in Australian sports, Steve Smith is still well and truly amongst them. And he is right now because we are... Very curious as to how he will go as a test cricket opener. The age of 35, after averaging 58 in the middle order in test cricket, he says, I want to face the new ball straight away. Cameron Green come in at number four. I want to open the batting. It was a big talking point in Australian cricket and Australian sport last week. We're only two days away from finding out how he goes against the Windies. That might not be a huge challenge overall, but then it's the Kiwis for two tests away, late February, early March. That will be a challenge potentially on some green tops in New Zealand. So he needs to start building some confidence now, Steve Smith, as does Cam Green in at number four when he re-enters the test arena in a couple of days' time. Every single ball, of of course, on SEN Cricket. This test series between Australia and the once powerful West Indies. But we have caught up 
through our man on the ground, Barrison Durasson, with Steve Smith one-on-one to discuss this move to become an opener in Test cricket and why he wants to do it. Here it is for you. Steve Smith, Australia's new Test opener. Thank you so much for speaking to SEN Test Cricket. Uh, just on the move, Steve, I mean, you've been in the news uh, ever since uh, it became official that you're going up there. Can you just take us through how it came about and how you were the one who took the call first? Yeah, no, I've sort of been saying it for a little while. Um, probably not taken as seriously as I was kind of coming across it um, until about a week ago. But, um, yeah, I thought, you know, we've got a good player in Cameron Green that's been sitting on the sidelines, someone that's suited to bat in the middle. And um, and then from my point of view, um, you know, I've been sitting there waiting at number four to bat for a long period of time and I'm keen to just get out there and play. So, um, yeah, I, I sort of said, look, I'm keen to get up there and open, face the new ball and, and get amongst it. And, um, yeah, we had those conversations after last game in Sydney and, and here we landed. So, no, I'm excited. So at what point did they actually start taking you seriously then? Like a... Probably not till after Sydney and I went up and chatted to um, you know Ron and, and, and Paddy and said look I'm keen I'm, uh, I'm interested to have a new challenge up top and um, yeah look I'm not I'm not foreign to the new ball it's I think a lot of the time I've actually batted my best when I've come in really early and um, you know 2019 Ash is probably a prime example of that I, I felt like I was in I was basically opening the batting there so um, yeah it's nothing foreign it's something I enjoy and um, yeah I was keen to get up there uh, and once it became uh, official, I mean, have you had a, that chat with Uzi? I mean, you guys batted so much with each other, but suddenly you're walking out to bat. You haven't done a lot of that. I just randomly sent him a message. I don't think he knew that I was opening yet, and I just said, do you want the first one or should I take it? <laughs> and he sent back, opening, question mark, and I was like, yeah, I'm in. So, um, yeah, we have, actually haven't decided who's taking the first one yet, but um, after I got out, <laughs> Our first ball the other night, I was like, well, maybe you should take it. But um, no, not fast. Well, it doesn't matter when you face your first ball, whether you're opening or batting at four or whatever. So it's all, it's all the same. And you've spoken a lot about, um, you know, getting bored with fading to come out to bat uh, and, and you get restless. So has there been a point, I mean, yes, this is this is the summer of David Warner retiring and all that, but even in the last couple of summers where you, like that restlessness has built up even more? Yeah, and I think it's, it just wears me down mentally. I just I watch so closely when I'm waiting to bat of what's going on, and you know there's usually a slight delay on the television, so I watch live, and then I'd look up and I'd watch the TV. So if I'm waiting for you know 300 balls, I'm probably watching 600. So it's just wearing me down mentally, and um, yeah, and and then once I'm out there, I'm probably more fatigued um, by the time I get out there. So yeah, I don't have that anymore, which is exciting. Uh, and you spoke earlier about like it's it's not a selfish move. It's you also were very keen on bringing Cam bring back in the side, letting him bat at number four. Like how important is that for him? I mean, he's got one go at number six, yep. but this seems more like his natural position. Yeah, I mean, he bats four in Shield cricket, and he's done a tremendous job there. Um, I think he is a bit like me in terms of he doesn't like waiting too long to bat either. So, you know, batting at six, you're obviously waiting a lot longer than you are batting at four, and I think four suited to the way he plays. So. Um, I think when they they sort of said that they were keen, obviously, to get the best six batters in, what they believe is the best six batters in, and it didn't sort of sit right with me if Greeny came in and opened the batting. I felt, you know, I'm an experienced player. I've been around for a long time. I should be going up there before him. So, um, yeah, I think it, it suits us, me to one, him to four, sits well. 
And, and the last thing about that is uh, the dynamic between you and Manas now. And you'll be the one telling him how the pitch is playing, <laughs> like the other way around. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I'm sure that'll all be fine. Um, you know, he watches the game pretty closely as well when, when he's waiting to bat. So, um, yeah, there'll be no real surprises. And, and have you seen any of the new West Indians? Uh, I mean, Shamar Joseph's the new fast bowler. Everybody's... Uh, I have it. Uh, pimping him up and saying he's going to play this first test. So, mm-hmm. or any of the other guys, a new spinner as well? Uh, I haven't yet. Um, I'll have a look probably tonight or tomorrow and do a bit more homework. But um, yeah, I'm hearing some good things. And and then they've obviously got some experience as well with, you know, Kemar Roach and Alzari's played quite a bit now. So um, yeah, it should be a good challenge. Go well, new test top. Thank you. And they did well against the Cricket Australia 11, the West Indies. So hopefully they can be competitive against the Aussies uh, in Adelaide in the first test starting on Wednesday and then in the day-night test at the Gabba in Brisbane. A couple of really interesting points to come out of that Steve Smith chat and share with us your thoughts, 0457736736 on the text line. Firstly, the fact that mentally he was just becoming drained watching every ball twice, as he said, because he watches it live and then he watches it again on the replay and the TV in the room, which is a bit delayed. So he said if Australia's faced 300 balls by the time he gets out to bat, he's watched 600. And he just wasn't quite at it mentally as he's getting a little bit older, batting at number four. So he wants to get in there and just face it from the off. You can understand that. The other part was him saying, well, Cam Green was coming in. The selectors... Radiment, he's in the best six bats in the country. So someone had to come up and open because he didn't feel comfortable with Cam Green opening the batting. If that's the case, then surely the players were told, perhaps as far back as two weeks ago, Cam Green was in. All this chat about Cam Bancroft and Marcus Harris and Matt Renshaw, Green was the man they wanted. So that word would have been going around the Australian dressing room. It's then, okay, well, who wants to go go up and open? Or does Green open? Steve Smith wasn't comfortable with that. And uh, he therefore said, I'll face the new ball, thank you. The other options, I guess, were Mitch Marsh potentially, but that was always an unlikely proposition. Or Travis Head, but then you've got two left-handers again in Head and Kawaja, and they probably prefer the right-hand-left-hand combination. Ultimately, it doesn't matter too much. Steve Smith wanted to do it. So that made all the other conversations a little bit moot. But all the talk about Bancroft or Renshaw or Harris or Green, it seems as if that decision was made as of weeks ago. And it was only ever going to be Cam Green, 24 years of age, averaging over 60 in shield cricket, test century in India. That's what the selectors wanted. And you can understand that. In terms of players who are stepping away from uh, Australian cricket, Aaron Finch is doing that. He's retiring. His final game will be for the Renegades against the Thunder tomorrow night at the Sydney Showgrounds. He played five test matches for Australia, but that was never his preferred format, of course. He was a short-form man, 5,400 runs in the ODIs, played 146 matches for Australia, captained the one-day international team for a long period of time, including at the 2019 World Cup. It didn't go too well, but uh, he was a very good leader. Over 100 T20 internationals for Australia as well. Averaged 34.28 in T20 internationals, 38.89 in the ODI format. That's pretty solid. Only 27.8 from his five test matches for Australia. Here is Aaron Finch reflecting on his time in cricket. 
you're not typically an emotional man, but it's been a long, long journey. If I'd said to you in the Colac Nets 20 years ago that you're going to bow out uh, uh, yeah. a championship skipper here, double World Cup winner, uh, test cricketer, you would have been shaking your head. Absolutely, I would have. And it's something that's, you can only dream of it as a kid, and, and I hope that everyone does, especially test cricket. It's, it's amazing. And... Um, yeah, I'm a bit lost for words, actually. It's just one of those times that I... I think you just get to a point... I'm obviously well past my best, and uh, the young kids coming through are so good, so I wanted to give them every opportunity. Um, but it's nice to go out with a win, especially against the Stars, to to finish off where we... where we um, where we've started this has been really cool. So, yeah. Hugely popular cricketer Aaron Finch, perhaps a throwback to cricketers of years gone by, and maybe that's why he uh, resonated with so many Australian cricket fans. Daniel Garpy with you on SEN Afternoons. Plenty more coming up after the break. Join the conversation. Call 1300 01 1170 or text 0457 736 736. Afternoons on SEN. The Tess Connery Britain Deputy Editor of Media Week is with us to go through all the TV ratings, the big numbers, what people were grabbed by and interested in, some of the stories to come out of the sporting weekend. Tess, thanks for joining us on SEN 1170, SEN 693, as you so often do. Thank you so much for having me. So the Oz Open move to Sunday was always an interesting one, of course, and I guess one of the benefits, I'm not too sure, you can maybe enlighten us. Maybe the reason for the move was to... Uh, boost TV ratings from the start by starting on a Sunday, having a big game on a Sunday night as opposed to starting on a Monday morning. Was that part of the, the reason for the move? And if so, how did it reflect from a TV point of view? Yeah, it was an interesting one. We only found out fairly recently in the grand scheme of things that we mm. were going to be adding that extra day as well. Uh, but it seems to have worked out for them. Obviously, they had Novak Djokovic uh, up as sort of the, the jewel in the crown of the first night, and people definitely tuned into that one. Uh, 441,000 tuning into Djokovic, taking on uh, Dino Prismic there. So, big, big match. And uh, they actually kind of, they stayed tuning in throughout the day as well. Not in the numbers that Novak Djokovic would have brought. I don't think that would be any surprise to hear. Uh, the second highest session of the day was Jason Kluber. So Australians getting behind the Aussie. Uh, 249,000 tuned into that one. And the third one was the late session um, with Arena Sablenka. Uh, 237,000 tuning into that one. So pretty steady numbers across the day and then spiking with uh, Djokovic, which... I think uh, I think they definitely would have predicted that putting putting the big name on up first. No doubt, and tonight's going to be very big, isn't it? I mean, Dimonor Roundich, the golden boy of Australian tennis right now, with a tricky first up encounter. I dare say the TV broadcasters, the execs, will be very happy with the way in which the draws pound out over the first couple of days. I think you would be absolutely right <laughs> on that. They'd be uh, they they couldn't have asked for a, a bigger couple of first two days, to be honest. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how that one pans out. And as it does with these things, it will just grow and grow as the uh, the tournament moves along. Well, so much of it depends on Alex Dimonor and his run. If he goes on a golden run, of course, then, yeah, that lifts things enormously, as we've learned from many Australian Opens in the past. Popperin and Polman's facing off today means that uh, there's also plenty of Aussie interest, along with Vukic and Thompson uh, doing battle. No doubt uh, that will generate a lot of Aussie eyeballs in the first day of the Australian Open as well.
well. What about the Big Bash? It was a massive weekend that started with the Sydney smash. David Warner flying in on a chopper. Steve Smith going up against him. What stood out from the Big Bash League ratings over the weekend? Yeah, no, it was a uh, it was a big round as well. As you said, the chopper, David Warner, all sorts of headlines this round. Um, the biggest match of the round actually came from the Sixers and the Thunder. So there were 169,000 tuning in on Fox, uh, 356,000 on Seven, bringing us to uh, 525,000 all up. So just over half a mil tuning into that match in particular. Um, as the as the highlight of the round, but people also really getting into some of those uh, KO minis actually mm. to watch back the highlights. Sixty seven thousand alone for the strikers and the hurricane wow. mini uh, people are, that uh, you know Foxtel's reporting. Uh, Heat and Scorchers was the second with twenty four thousand, so a bit of a jump. But uh, yeah, people are actually really getting behind the highlights as well, which just shows the interest that's in the Big Bash this year. That's incredible. I mean, the mini matches, be it cricket, be it AFL, NRL, uh, soccer fans are well attuned to it from the Premier League. And for them, it's very handy because sometimes the games are on in the middle of the night. So you wake up in the morning, you don't have time to watch a full game before work. And the uh, the nine-minute highlights or the 25-minute highlights are, uh, are certainly advantageous for you. I do worry about the young generation getting attuned to just watching mini matches <laughs> as opposed to watching full matches and thinking that's the way to consume sport, just a 25-minute mini match as opposed to uh, tuning in for two halves of rugby league or four quarters of AFL or a full game of cricket. Um, that's a matter for another time, Tess, for us to discuss. <laughs> but that is a concern that uh, I think a lot of people do have about the next generation coming through. It's going to be interesting for us. Uh, broadcasters as a result. The Socceroos were in action on Saturday night, their opening game of the Asian Cup against India. Not a glamour team to start, of course, and uh, a tricky time. Kickoff was 10.30pm Eastern. How did that rate considering all of that? Yeah, speaking of things that would need an attention span, soccer's going to be the one, isn't it? Um, 159,000 tuned in despite that. As you said, you know, it's not uh, the glamour team and it was at kind of that awkward time zone. So, you know, they are, they were, soccer is really having its moment at the moment. And I, I have wondered if it would transfer over to the Socceroos, uh, you know, that sort of wave of goodwill that the Matildas has caused. Um, but that's a really solid number for, for that time of night. So 159,000 tuning in for that match, which uh, a similar story with the odd open as it continues, I think we'll absolutely expect that, to see that number rise. Yeah, the Socceroos are one of the biggest national sporting teams in the country, of course, have been for a long time. And uh, the Asian Cup is their second biggest tournament, obviously, after the World Cup, which was only yeah. a little over 12 months ago. So not surprising there was a lot of interest. But, yeah, those numbers are strong for a game against India Saturday night at 10.30. Perhaps a lot of people were getting home from wherever they've been and thought... Well, there we go. That's the perfect thing to tune into. It also led in nicely from the A-League Unite round on Saturday night. So they did have a very good lead into it, Channel 10, and perhaps that was reflected in the numbers. Very strong uh, for the Socceroos to start their campaign, and no doubt they will only grow as the assignments get trickier for Graham Arnold's side. The NFL playoffs have begun. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys would uh, rather hope that they didn't, of course, embarrassed this <laughs> morning. But uh, what about some of the standout numbers there? Yeah, so the uh, the numbers are coming through. With they've kind of been sitting around that thirty thousand mark, which is very true of, of most of the matches. Uh, you sort of have the Texans and the Browns sitting at twenty eight thousand, basically hitting that exactly. But there was a bigger spike for Chiefs and Dolphins actually. 51,000 tuning into ESPN to watch uh, those two go head-to-head. -head. Excellent. No doubt they will only lift as the uh, NFL playoffs get more exciting as well. Tess Connery-Britton from Media Week, thanks for joining us. Thank you.
Daniel Gap here with you. SEN Afternoons through on the text line 0457736736. Greg from Campbelltown. 500,000 people watching, hoping Warner failed. Happy days he did. Greg's obviously not a David Warner fan. From Glenn. Imagine if everyone knew the Australian Open started last night. I had no idea. They did announce it late, Glenn. It wasn't as if, you know, at the start of the year they made word of that big change be known. It was only announced a couple of months ago, I think, the start on a Sunday. But I really like it. It's a massive event. Starting on a, a Monday morning just lacks a little bit of pizzazz. Started on a weekend, Sunday, and build into that first night being on a Sunday night. I like it. Stretch the first round over three days if you have to and start it on a weekend. Makes a bit more sense to me. Um, so I quite like it, and I think it's built in nicely to uh, the rest of the Australian Open. We'll give you some scores in a moment in terms of how everyone is going. From Bondi Jack, Garbo, how dare the NRL and Rugby League Players Association deny under-19s the right to their dreams of selection in a draft? It would be dynamic and hugely popular from Bondi Jack. I agree. I think a draft would be awesome in the NRL. I think it would create a lot more hype around the youngsters coming through. I know that they still get a lot of coverage, but you start building up when you have a draft a year out from the player making their entry into the competition. You start to learn a whole lot about them. In the AFL, hardly read the number one draft pick. He's already more famous than 75% of the AFL players. We see it in American sports all the time. It creates a lot of interest around the youngsters coming through. Now, I know the NRL's got a different cultural landscape, and uh, they are far more connected to their local clubs and their local areas, the NRL clubs, and that is great. There is a lot of advantages to come with that. But you can still have academy picks. In the AFL, you get first crack at academy players, for example, um, father-son players, so you still have that connection there. Um, and clubs generally as well draft players from their areas if they can. Victorian teams, it's a bit different, but West Australian clubs like to draft WA players, the same with the South Australian clubs. So I think you'd still have that preference. Um, but a draft, I think, would create... I think you've, you've nailed it in terms of the word, Bondi Jack. Dynamism. Just a bit more dynamism in terms of young players coming through in the league. Uh, maybe that's one. And you can keep still the transfer window open all the time. Maybe a draft for some of the youngsters. doesn't have to be a four-round draft either. Maybe just a two-rounder. And a couple of players, maybe outside of your, your best picks, maybe the next bracket down can get drafted around the league based on where you finished the year before to help some of the clubs who have struggled. I'm a fan of it. Time now for the score update and then the big one with Gibbo, the Who Am I? Time for a sports update with Coach K. Coach K not with us today. Nathan Gibbons is in the chair. Where are we going, Nathan, with the score update? Well, you have been speaking all day about the Australian Open and there is uh, a couple of Aussies in action. Alexi Popperin looks like he's heading for a straight sets victory. He won the first set against uh, Mark Pullman, 6-3 uh, in a tiebreaker in the second and the third set is just getting underway. James Duckworth, now he is in action as well. He's won the first set against nice. Frenchman uh, Van Arsch. Van Arsch, yep, you got that right. It's a tough one, Gabby. I mean, you've been <laughs> in the media a long time. I, I look down the list of some of these names and, you know, you're, it's squeaky bum time, so to speak. <laughs> but we're all looking at Alex De Manure later tonight. Jordan Cornelius will be anchoring all the coverage right here on SCN. Do you think uh, now that Demon sort of got a bit of free real estate 
as, you know, Australian men's tennis player. Is that good for him, do you think, Garvey? Yeah, well, it puts a bit more pressure on him without Nick Kyrgios in the draw, no doubt. But uh, hopefully he can take advantage of it. A big test tonight against Raonic. Tricky one. Wins that. Things open up a little bit more over the next couple of rounds. And then he's going to have to claim a big scout. There's no getting around it. Like, if you want a you know, top 10 player in the world now, a couple of big wins leading into the Aussie Open. Let's get beyond the quarterfinal, Demon. Popper and, yeah, two sets to love up over Pullman's. Remember, if he wins that, he plays Djokovic in the next round. Yeah. Massive. Very that'll massive. be that'll be a night game centre court. Djokovic against one of the Aussies looks like being popping right now. Now one of the um, the anti heroes here at the Australian Open, uh, Daniil Medvedev, he <laughs> is in action as well. He is five four up in the third set. There's been a a bad bout of cramps in that match, and also Garby, listen to this. Dan- Daniil Medvedev has been complaining about the water being too hot. <laughs> I mean, if, is there any way to win over an Aussie crowd by just uh, constant complaining? Some people like to be the villain. Yep. It's, it's, it's all they know. It somehow gets the best out of them. So Medvedev lost the first set to Admane, the qualifier from France, 7-5. 6-2 up, and he won the second set. He's 5-4 up in the third, and he's set to close that out. He's 30-love up on his serve. So it looks like being a two-sets-to-one-up situation for Daniel Medvedev. But I reckon there's a part of him that just only feels comfortable when he's actually the villain. Yeah. So complaining about the water temperature in the first round of the Aussie Open when you've already had run-ins with the crowd here. Like, what are you doing, mate? What are you doing, mate? But clearly, yeah. that's all he knows. Like Patrick reading golf, for those who follow <laughs> golf, does things like this as well. Like he's been caught cheating a couple of times. He got kicked out of his college teams for cheating. You know, there's rumours that he stole money from one of his teammates in college, doesn't talk to his family. You watch these things and you go, why does he want to constantly make controversy yeah. in his career? But I reckon some people are just used to being the villain and that's the situation that they operate the best in. I reckon Medvedev, yeah. if everyone was supporting him, he'd feel a little bit uneasy. Yeah. He'd rather have them booing, even though he'll arc up about it at times. Deep down in his core, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, okay. that's what he actually prefers. Right. Okay, no, fair enough. I guess so. Rod Laver Arena, now we're talking about anti-heroes. Oh, I think one of the most supported players, bar the, the top three in the men's game, is Stefano Sitsipas. He is in action at the moment, and guess what, Garby? He's just gone down in the first set, seventh seed, to unseeded Zizou Bergs, 7-5 in the first set. So plenty of Australian Open action. Like I said, Jordan Cornelius, Australian Open Live, later on tonight from 7pm on the East Coast. Can't wait for it. Vondra Sova, the number seven seed on the women's side of the draw, out, six one six two, smashed. So she is gone. That's one of the big stories so far at the Australian Open. Coco Goff cruised through today over Schmidt Lover, their number four seed. 6-3, six, 6-love. Six, oh, I love this time of the day. It's who am I time, Gibbo. Take a guess. Who do you think it is? It's now time to play Who Am I? Get on the text line 0457 736 736. Get the phones ready because... Nathan Gibbons thinks that I'm no chance to yeah. get this one right. Therefore, it could be very tricky. No, it's it's not too tricky. I mean, it's sort of topical, but I just want to say, Garby, you've you've been a broadcast for a long time. You've been around the blocks. Is that not the best stinger in the game? Yeah, it's a very good one. Coach K's got a wonderful voice. <laughs> yeah. He's a little bit crook at the moment, so I hope he's recovered okay. Mm. But uh, that is a beauty. So, yeah. Who am I for today? Now, $100 cash, thanks to Tristan and the team at Top Sport. I was born in Western Australia. 
My dad was an Olympic swimmer. Hang on. Yep. I need you to we got to slow it down. Okay. One by okay. one. Let them let the let the clues marinate. Right, Richie the maestro, Benno style. The maestro reckon? made this mistake because mm-hmm. Coach K is very good. Just put it out there, then pause. Yeah. Let yeah, people okay. think about it. Let, right. let them run a few names through their mind after yep. the first clue. Oh, and then put down the yeah, different. Yeah, just, okay. Just one is... I was born in Western Australia. There nice. you go. There you go. So all of a sudden, yeah, you're, you're running through a bunch of different yep. WA sports. Icons. Mitchell Johnson, years. Kim Hughes, Mitchell Nick Johnson's, Matanui. Johnson's a Queenslander. Is he a Queenslander? Yeah, he played for go. WA, but okay. he's a Queenslander. Uh, my dad was an Olympic swimmer. <clears throat> okay. H- have you got a, Have you got a couple of names in? Because I did ask you in the news break. Do you, how do you not think you'll yet. go? And you said you you not, won't. Stop not me. there yet. Okay. My first taste of Test cricket was as a substitute in two thousand and five. Andrew Barnett in the building, professor with Barney this afternoon. He's getting ready for the run home. Summer run home. So, yeah, my first taste of Test cricket was a sub in 2005. West Australian. Dad was an Olympic swimmer. First taste of Test cricket in 2005. 0457736736. $100 with thanks to Tristan and Top Sport. And there is no one through yet. So, mm. this is a tricky well, it's one. A, well, I did say it was going to be tough. I was going to leave my mark on this yeah. show. Now... Okay, so my first taste of Test cricket, like I said, 2005 is a substitute. I went on to debut three years later against the mighty Black Caps. So I made my Test debut in 2008. Yeah, that's oh, I'm just saying, I'm just I'm saying crickets yet. here. I'm saying I'm crickets here. I scored my final. Cl- I can give you. I'll give you his name later on. But my final clue is I scored two. Test match hundreds throughout my career. One was against South Africa and one was against England. There you go, Garby. Ooh. I think I've got you. I think I've got you stumped. Have I got it now? Now I think I might have it. Mm. Now I think I might have it. Well, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll give the uh, listeners, well, ooh, actually, it wasn't as easy. It wasn't as hard as I thought. I think we might have a winner there, Garby. Righty goes. So they're starting to come through now. But can I? You asked our Steve MacGyver earlier in the show the future of Test cricket. Yes, yeah, Steve. Garvey. Are you Steve? I think it was. I think Steve? it was Steve. Likes yeah. to be called Steve. Yeah. Now, New Zealand's an interesting one because I, I really hope that they continue on this trajectory of their Test match team. They played in a Test Championship final. They won it. Mm-hmm. They're one of the better teams going around. But do you think three. Test teams is going to be the case over the next few years, Garby. It's great. It's heading that way. Yep. So, I mean, Australia, England, India have always been the big three, and then we sort of hoped South Africa would be there with us. Wonderful production line of world-class players, similarly aligned to us in culture until recently. And then the Kiwis are, are always one you forget. Like you mentioned those teams, everyone goes, yeah, what about New Zealand? Oh, yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah. That's, that's always what happens, right? Nice guys. So I think we start to look at the Kiwis now with a bit more of a focus because South Africa are clearly angling far more towards the T20 format of the game. Yep. So now we're there, all right, we need a fourth team to join us. If South Africa are going that way, they're not playing as much test cricket. What about New Zealand? Mm. Can they, are they going to maintain it or are they going to angle towards T20 cricket a lot more? What's your feeling on yep. that? Well, uh, the thing is, they're not making money with test cricket over there. So yeah. they're playing Australia. They're playing at the Basin Reserve in Wellington. The first four days sold out. Mm-hmm. That only holds 8,000 people. Okay. They've played two 
2020s against Pakistan at Eden Park. Very healthy crowd, 30,000, 40,000 there. They played last night at Seddon Park in Hamilton. Again, very healthy crowd. Unfortunately, over there, for watching cricket, the appetite is for white ball cricket. Mm. And that's just the way it is. I think we'll see that, we'll see that in Sri Lanka. We see that all across the world. White ball cricket, unfortunately, is what people want to watch. And I think the domestic game as well might be struggling over there in New Zealand. But they play too many two-test match series. Yeah. Thankfully, they're coming to Australia, and I think it's 26-27 to play four test matches against Australia. So hopefully, you know, iron sharpens iron, so to speak, Garby. But look, I'm, I'm bullish on New Zealand, but I think they've got ageing bowlers. Tim Southey has got a couple of years left. Kane Williamson's got a couple of years left. Yeah. I just don't know the next generation whether or not it's coming. Well, through. that's always the worry with the Kiwis is that they're not going to have enough talent. I mean, we always think that and they come out with a couple of top-class players, a couple of world-class players. But, yeah, they're a team that we have high hopes for or else it is just three nations in Test cricket and that's a depressing situation for those who love that format, which we do in Australia. But this Who Am I is tricky. There are a range of different names coming through. Fascinated to know what the answer is. I'm none the wiser. Join us, 0457736736. Plenty more coming up on SEN Afternoons, including the answer to the Who Am I? Join the conversation. Call 1300 01 1170 or text 0457 736736. Afternoons on SEN. The Who Am I is a beauty from Gibbo. Mick from Brisbane's on the line. He, think he, has, he thinks he has the right answer. Go ahead, Mick. Oh, G'day, Gabby. Big fan, mate. Um, I think okay. the answer was uh, Brendan Nash. That it is. It was a trick question. Brendan Nash, who played for the West Indies, born in WA, made a couple of test centuries. I'm a West Australian. I couldn't believe that I couldn't get it. And then I realised it had to be a trick question of some sort. And uh, give very well done. Brendan Nash, his dad was a Jamaican Olympic swimmer. 21 test matches, averaged 33.4. So did okay. Churned out a decent career. That is a very good question. And there were a range of different answers. Marcus North, Chris Rogers, Tom Moody, Justin Langer, Ben Cousins was one. You had him stumped. Pardon the pun, Gibbo. Like that. Good from you. Day one with me, SCN Afternoons with the Who Am I? More coming up after the break. We have to clear another break. Don't go anywhere. Back in a moment. Join the conversation. Call 1300 01 1170 or text 0457 736 736. Afternoons on SEN. Stefano Sitsipas, last season's, last year's finalist, number seven seed, has lost the first set in his first round encounter on Rod Laver Arena to Zizou Bergs of Belgium. Wow. One to watch there from Melbourne Park. He is two love up in the second. So he's fighting back, similar to Daniel Medvedev, who's now through to the second round. He also lost the first set, the number three seed, earlier on. Alexi Popperin in the All-Aussie Affair against Mark Polmans. 6-3, 7-6. He is two sets up. Popperin, the winner of that encounter, faces Novak Djokovic in the second round. It looks like being Popperin, of course. Tonight, Demonor takes on Raonic. Go on, the Demon. Hopefully he can cruise through and preserve his energy to take a big scout later on in the Australian Open at Melbourne Park. Thanks so much for your company on SEN Afternoons. With thanks to SBS Fence sbsfence.com.au. Back tomorrow with the big show, the global game is part of it. 
Thanks to Gibbo for producing the show today with me in the studio. To all of you for listening, back with more tomorrow. The Run Home is coming up next.